0: Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 31. All right, welcome to episode number 31 of That's a Wrap. Happy New Year to everybody. We are... Uh, three guys with PhDs who like to talk about film and media and stuff. Uh, I'm Eric Marshall.
1: I'm Nick Schlegel. And I'm Chris Gullen. All right.
2: All right, uh, all right, all right.
1: All right,
0: all right, all right. Uh, We are recording uh, at the end of January, so Happy New Year, guys.
2: Happy New Year to you. Same to you. And our listeners.
0: And our listeners. Uh, It's been a little while. Yeah, but here we are, and we have a very special guest today. We have Ted Okuda. Uh, we're going to talk to Ted about all kinds of stuff. Uh, according to Nick, Ted knows more than all three of us combined. So that's going <laughs> to be
2: exciting.
0: So uh, what's up with you guys?
2: Well, Chris, I think I think you should start considering you've been living <laughs> in snowpocalypse there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're uh, right two days after Winter Storm Juno and... Uh, I live here in uh, central Massachusetts where we received about two and a half feet of snow. And uh, we did go back to – I did go back to work yesterday, Wednesday, uh, the day after the storm. Uh, A lot of that was due to the fact that western Massachusetts where I work, didn't get hit very hard and the fact that uh, the Commonwealth was very good at making sure everything was cleared. So they had a travel ban, uh, the police very strictly enforced it, and um, they cleared off the turnpike and the major freeway. So it was it was actually, we you know, we came through unscathed, knock on wood. Uh, the Cape, uh, Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket all got hit very, very hard because high tide came in. So they had yeah. flooding and, and all sorts of disaster. But uh, funny enough, though, we're supposed to be getting another two to three inches uh, tonight into tomorrow. I saw that. Uh another couple inches tomorrow night into Saturday, and then possibly more snow uh with a nor'easter Easter coming in next Monday and possibly Wednesday. So you know it uh it is what it is. It's part of life in New England. Uh you just sort of deal with it and you know, that that there we go. So it was uh it was interesting.
0: I don't know how I feel about them naming uh, winter storms.
1: Yeah. It's a little silly. It it, 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 it really is, but no, I'll uh, tell
2: you what's silly is the twenty four hours of, of media coverage it gets. You know, that's it's I mean, it, when when things like this happen, it shows you just how sort of pathetic the, the various media outlets are, the, the news, so called news, because all they do every hour at the top of hour, somebody some pundit comes on for their show and then they talk for an hour about what they just talked about for the previous hour. And then they they have to find talking points on every minute thing just to fill airtime, you know. It's like – it's unbelievable. The day after, all they did was talk about whether or not New York overreacted, you know, 24 (laughs) hours worth of that type of stuff. And then you get pundits coming on saying whether they thought it was overreaction or not, you know. And then it's like, oh my god. I mean I watch it just sort of – just so I can keep an eye on how ridiculous the, the coverage of all this stuff becomes, you know.
1: Right the coverage was you know, it was it was it was crazy here of course in 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 new England i mean and and, and New york i mean they they were ready. they really battened down the hatches and were they were ready, but the storm uh turned and kind of uh, um full force uh raged its fury onto us but um you know the the the, the coverage was it was very silly because that's all you heard about right right yeah every single news station. Uh, here in Massachusetts, some sort of conscious-driven,
2: you know, like hosts were coming on and going. Well, I have to talk about this, you know. And some other ones were coming on five or six days earlier, going, "I have to do a whole hour on Deflate Gate." You know, it's just like, and then they wonder if okay. there's some sort of like, you know, transference of salience. You know, the whole the whole sort of uh, uh, Chapel Hill studies and and, and agenda setting theory and stuff like that. And it's like, you know. Yes, obviously there is. It's all you're talking about. You're at at the uh, expense of other news. You know, of the other billion things happening in the world, we get 24 hours about snow. And one one commentator for it, I remember saying like uh, they were talking about the the blizzard of 1888 in New York, which was like inc- you know really horribly bad. And then you know that there was no coverage of that whatsoever. People looked outside, saw three feet of snow, and stayed in. And I guess the governor of of uh, New York and the mayor of the city 4 days later issued statements which was like please clean your stoops. <laughs> that was yeah. the coverage. That was that was the that was the majority out, of it. It's Like what has happened to culture in the last 100 years? I don't know.
0: Well, they didn't have the 24-hour news cycle back then, so they didn't have to, you know, they that's didn't have the I, opportunity, I, right? So
2: Well, that's but that's my point is we, they could have, you know. I mean they they it's like, you know, we created the 24-hour news cycle, so it's like Right. It's our own construction, and we did fine without it for you know, 20,000 years. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, we did pretty well. We did okay.
2: <laughs> we did all right. We did a lot better, mm-hmm. I think.
0: Yeah, I think we thought we'd get more news with the 24-hour cycle, but we just get, we get, we get more of more fluff. More you know?
2: of the same,
0: yeah. So, yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen more than a foot of snow. I think the most I've ever seen is maybe 8 or 10 inches or so.
2: Oh, That's considered d- dusting up here. Remember we got fourteen Eric on New Year's Eve about uh, ten years ago. Remember that? Did we? Yeah. Oh boy, did we? Yeah, we did. All
3: right. All
0: right. Well, it's nothing compared to two and a half, I guess. Right.
2: I remember because I was just—it was my last year managing the service station, and I had to plow it all the next day.
0: Ah, that's (laughs) terrible. Oh yeah, I do remember that. We got Uh, we got like
2: twelve one day and fourteen the next, and it was it was like ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it was yeah. our our cars were completely covered. I mean, it was it was it was it was crazy, but you know, it is it is what it is. You know, yeah, well,
0: that's what you get for living up there, and that's what we get for living here, right? Right, right. right you, know. I- you know, what are you up to, Nick?
2: Well, uh, I did finish my book. I know I've been telling uh, you guys and the readers. Uh, Yay! Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you. That I finished my book. Uh, but they didn't know that the the listeners that is because last time uh, we did a podcast I was in the end stages of finishing it so yeah I finished it I delivered it about two weeks ago and then it it actually my editor sent it back to me about three days later um, requesting that which is you know the last thing I wanted to see in my email inbox was a letter that said you know like the first word said unfortunately and I was like uh oh and I read it and it turns out there was like several formatting errors that I had done that needed to be addressed. And uh and my image count needed to be lowered. So I spent some time fixing all that and resent everything. And it's going into production in a couple weeks here, guys. So um that's very exciting. Uh I'm very happy about that. And I'm starting I have another piece due in March um that I just immediately had to start on as I finished this one. So no rest, you know uh, for the for the writing weary, yeah, really.
0: Well, that's good. That's uh, that's great, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Very happy to hear about that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's not much to report on my end. I uh I wrote thirty four thousand words in January. Oh my god! Which, which sounds like a lot, but it's it's less than half of my goal. My goal was eighty eighty something. Uh, that's a lot. Because I I don't. I guess listeners, if that's a wrap, don't know this, but I pledged to. uh Is pledge the right word? I don't know, but I I, I have a goal of... (laughs) Writing a million words this year in 2015, mostly creative work, fiction, uh, creative nonfiction, stuff like that, and uh, that ends up being about 3,400 words a day, um, which I only hit twice in January. Um, I have written every day in January except for today. Um, I don't know if I'm going to, but yeah. So I mean, on the on the, on the one hand, I wrote 34,000 words. On the other hand, I only wrote 34,000 words. But. Well, Eric, um, my
2: my book is around 70. So mm. there you go. In one month, you wrote half my book. So, dude, you ought to be proud of yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's
1: that's pretty commendable, Eric. Yeah, what I am happy about is
0: I have lots of raw material now. You know, from that, I have lots of stuff I can use um, for other things. So, yeah, I'm happy about that. Very happy. And then the other thing, um, I guess, of note is that Nick and I went and saw Frederick Wiseman last week.
1: Oh,
2: yeah. That's awesome. It was very, very jealous. We should probably tell the, ra- the listeners who aren't familiar with Frederick Wiseman who he is.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, when you think documentary, if you know anything about documentary, I think the first name that comes to mind is probably Frederick Wiseman. The first yeah. or second name for sure. Oh,
2: the statesman of the, of the business there, yeah.
0: Yeah, he's been doing it for, uh, what did we figure out, 40 years, something like that?
2: He's sixty well in the early sixties, like sixty one, he started. But I think Titty Cut was the first, so sixty seven. So that's um, forty eight years. Yeah, yeah forty yeah. almost fifty years.
0: And he pioneered the you know what they call the observational documentary, um, and. Uh, some people call it fly on the wall but he uh he took uh, he took umbrage at that <laughs> uh, at the at the q and a after the movie but you know basically no explicit narrative no uh, no narrator no no through line just kind of set up cameras, film people and things and then edit it together and and some of his movies are quite long um the one we saw was National Gallery, which is about the National Gallery in london mm-hmm. and uh it was fascinating, man. It was an I was absolutely fascinating documentary. I was um I was really impressed. You know, three hours long and I I didn't check my watch, you know. It was it was really, really cool. Lovely. And then he did a Q and A after, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was cool. I learned some interesting things at the Q and A. Um, and then Nick got to I meet him.
2: Wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I had breakfast with them the next morning because uh, we had Frederick Wiseman, where I work at Wayne State University. We had him uh, in as a um, to do a seminar, a lecture series, and this was all part of it. So the the Detroit Film Theater premiere of the National Gallery, which is curated by uh, uh, the DFT, the Detroit Film Theater, which is Elliot Wilhelm's um, theater. He was uh, in in charge of the. Uh, of leading the seminar at Wayne State, sort of the instructor, uh, but um, Frederick was the speaker at the seminar for several classes, and uh, so on. Saturday morning, I went and had breakfast with him at the inn where he was staying nearby campus, and that was fantastic. Yeah, because he has—I wouldn't say a gruff exterior, but you know, he's been in this for a lot, very long time. So in interviews, you know, he he's been asked the same questions a million times. Sometimes, you know, he just has very wouldn't you say, Eric, kind of like by rote answers sometimes, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we all be- get that way after a of while. Course. And, and uh, what I found when I had breakfast with him, how warm and friendly and sharing of his vast knowledge and experience he is. Uh, he's just incredible at 85 years old. His stamina is unbelievable. You know, he was leaving Detroit that day. I went, and I went to the seminar afterwards in the afternoon. And then he had to fly to Cleveland that night to the Cleveland Cinematheque where he was doing a lecture. Then he had to fly back to Detroit on Sunday, less than a day later, and then fly back to Paris, um, where they're doing a uh, um, an opera of Titty Cut Follies. And <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, they're doing an opera, opera? Cut Follies, and they're also he's also working with the French National Radio on uh, 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 Emily Dickinson um, on her letters. And he asked me at breakfast if I had read her letters. And I said, no, only her poetry. And he said, her letters are also poetry. He said, they're just phenomenal. And so so at 85, if I'm anywhere near as smart as he is or spry, oh, I mean, good God. So yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. You know, the other thing we figured out was that if if, six, if uh, Titty Cut Follies came out in 67 and he's 85 now, we I think we did the math and he was probably in his late 30s, I believe, 37 yeah. or so-ish uh, when that came out. And he's made a whole career out of it. So you know, He joked also-
2: about uh, Yale, remember? He went to Yale Law School. and right. uh, He went and- to
1: Yale Law School?
2: Yeah, he's a law school grad. Uh, and and finished it uh, but like it, that wasn't his his bag at all in fact when he i think we said when he was practicing law he it was almost um and uh how did he put it eric it, it it he he almost made a farce of it or tried to yeah it
0: was something like that yeah.
2: stir the pot and cause trouble and then got the hell out of it you know and um yeah, so uh, so that was the early years, and then I guess it wasn't long after that, and then the first film. I mean, can you imagine your your debut being Titty Cut? Yeah, uh, that's that's quite a that's quite a debut for any filmmaker.
1: Well, considering that it was a film that actually changed how the Boston mental health system approached you know uh, uh, approached the, uh, the their way of doing things, yeah, that's that's pretty significant.
2: Yes, we talked uh, and and later that day in class we talked about Vladimir. You know, and uh, most people weren't familiar, hadn't seen Titty Cut except my former students who were in the class because in our documentary course we watched Titty Cut and High School, and we talked for a long while about Vladimir, which is very cool because Vladimir is the most interesting you know person in the whole film. This guy who really you know shouldn't be there. Uh, I mean, he didn't kill anybody. It was. His sister's boyfriend who shot this man and he happened to be in the car, but under Massachusetts state law, you know, he got incarcerated and he winds up at the mental institution because he was having these horrible dreams. Uh, And, you know, I mean, it's really, really disturbing. You guys know the Vladimir character. He's the one who's sort of protesting his sanity, saying he's sane and they're making him insane. Right. Throughout right. the film, and uh, and uh, the the institution itself is causing him to go very much like you know one floor of the cuckoo's nest. He's sort of slowly going insane, and he's he's arguing for his life, saying, "You people are dry, you know you're you're killing me. You're making me completely, utterly insane." And of course, they're saying, "Well, which is exactly what a, a schizophrenic like you would say." You know, if we if you if we take away the idea that you're that you're insane, you make good sense, but you're insane. <laughs> it was like right. we talked quite a bit about that, and it's just mm. it's so lucky to have the, you have the director right there talking to you. and the seminar was so cool because he would take clips from all of his films, he would screen short clips, and then he would stop it, and he'd say, "What's going on here? Talk to me about the literal, talk to me about the abstract, what's going on?" and you know all sorts of it was just students were so, so, so enthralled.
0: Yeah, so that was a great opportunity. I'm really glad we uh, we got to do that. And like you said, if I'm at, if at 85, I'm that uh, with it. <laughs> We're loving that'd, that'd be nice. That'd be nice, <laughs> right? Um, right. Um, so yeah, so good. I'm glad. Yeah, good good updates. We got a lot of good stuff going on. I'm really happy to talk to you guys again for the new year. I, I think we've got some good stuff coming up, and uh, I think we should get uh, Ted Okuda on the phone. Huh? Absolutely, sounds good to me.
2: Going. Hey, Ted, you're on the air, pal. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. uh-oh. Well, I'll get,
4: uh, oh, geez, and Rick, that certainly uh, cuts down my vocabulary, then.
2: <laughs>
4: <Okay>. <laughs> A good 50%, anyway. So, how you guys doing?
2: Good, good. Great, great. Right, so, Ted, this is, uh, Eric, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Eric. Hi, Eric.
1: Hey, Ted. And I'm Chris.
2: How are you doing, Chris?
1: Good, Ted, how are you?
4: Okay, fine. So, uh, I don't know what I can offer. I've heard your previous podcast, so it's pretty challenging to come up with something interesting. Or
0: You've heard our previous podcast and you still agreed to come on? <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's impressive. That's very impressive. <laughs> oh, no, I, I've been very impressed. And like I said, I've known Nick for a while, so I know the. Uh, it, it reflects. All you guys reflect a certain uh, insight that I don't really hear in a lot. Well, you know, what... I won't name names. You've heard other pod- podcasts, so you know
0: how those <laughs> things kind of go. So, gotcha.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, we're um, very happy to have you on, Ted.
4: Well, thank you. And uh, have we have we settled on a topic?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, well, I, I think it's best, you know, um, if we probably started with some autobiographical information about you for the readers, you know, um, uh, just in terms of how and 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 when did you first uh become you know really in, interested in film and passionate about film
4: well you know I've got several years on you guys yep. so uh <laughs> i'll I'll throw this tidbit out just to, just to put put it in a kind of uh context when I used to watch movies on a black and white t v set okay i know i know the concept is kind of like uh that harkens back to like blacksmith shops and uh,
2: you know uh,
4: years before child labor laws and things like that. But uh, now I I got fixated I I would say uh, fairly young age. I mean this was a this was a period. Remember when you just kind of had to see things as they were broadcast. You was no you got no second chance with uh, movie rentals, DVRing anything. I mean it was right there. But my, fa- I always liked movies. But it was almost like movies, TV, everything was interchangeable. And those were the, those were in the days where you know you go to the movies and then watch a few more movies on television. And I'd say it kicked in for me about mm, maybe when I was about seven or eight. I really became fascinated with movies beyond just something that like I I, it, I liken it to uh, an amusement park. Okay, you go to the amusement park. You ride the Ferris wheel and you leave the amusement park. most people don't think about the Ferris wheel after they've left, and I guess with movies at a certain point after you leave the theater, you become obsessed with them once you uh, maybe <laughs> obsessed is too strong a word, but you become fascinated with them if you start thinking about the movie beyond its you know beyond the next day right. and I, I just started watching movies and I, I just became part of like, oh, uh, I wonder how they did that effect or. I wonder how that was accomplished. I mean, when I started realizing, I guess I was I was watching actors or appreciating things beyond just seeing people perform. i mean, just like, well, I wonder how they rehearsed that or the realization that, hey, there are people that actually had to film this, they had to direct it, they had to write the dialogue. So I'd say about seven or eight. And then uh, I just, I just kind of built from there. I'm also from a period, as I have told Nick, where you would go to a bookstore and there was no such thing as a movie section.
1: Yep. What's a bookstore? <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah, when there used to be bookstores. <laughs> see, see how things come around? I mean, I'm, I'm ta- by the way, I'm talking to you guys from a rotary phone, okay? So that'll. Yep.
2: So there you go, yeah.
4: <laughs> that'll put it in context. Okay, grandpa. But uh, as opposed to today, you go, okay, let's, let's forget the bookstore analogy. I'll just say on Amazon. When you go on Amazon and you go under books and if you type in. Movie, just to search the category movies. There's an incredible amount of stuff out there. It's movies and television, no less. But I'm from the day where you could pretty much fit all that stuff on one shelf because people didn't consider movies, and certainly not television, anything that you wrote about beyond maybe like a 400 page book, you know, the history of movies in three or four hundred pages.
2: <laughs> right, all, all
4: that, the- that kind of thing. You know, a- a- after you got past like Chaplin and Hitchcock and maybe. Uh, Gee, I don't even think they were taking Orson Welles all that seriously back then either. Uh, you pretty much had it. So, uh, flash. Where I got flash forward a little bit, I started going to the library and looking some of this stuff up on my own because I wasn't, you know, pre-internet, wasn't finding any of this stuff out in books or anything like that. And then that kind of just snowballed into, well, I've got all this information. I guess I should do something with it. Mm-hmm. And then now, it's, now we're at a point where, you know, there's, set, there's multiple books on just about any given subject. Right,
2: too much. In okay. fact,
4: sometimes what they'll do is they'll uh, define it into uh, subgenres, where you may talk about a certain time period within an artist's career as opposed to just looking at their career as a whole.
2: Oh, yeah. So, uh, and then yeah. you got
4: young workers, snappers like Nick... More often, they're all making us old dudes look pretty pathetic <laughs> by really going beyond the boundaries and uh, carving new paths where there weren't any paths or very little path before that. You know, studying Spanish cinema. So. Oh
2: yeah. Well, you humble me. No, it's it, I stand on your shoulders when I do that type of stuff.
4: Well. <laughs> you you better look for a more a sturdy uh, foundation.
2: <laughs> well, thank you, no, thank you, Nick. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that is the that is so true, Ted. That um, today you almost have a, an oversaturation of books on a given subject or director to the point where it's it's become sub yeah sort of like sub classified way down to like. Um, Oh, I I I really do want a, a study of the Columbia musicals between thirty-one and thirty-three. <laughs> it's well, like, right? And, or that's exactly that's five? You know, it's like, you know, and, and they're they're you know um, they're they're so it's yeah it's gotten to the point where it's almost it,
4: um, well back in the day I would have appreciated and I, as I did when it finally came out a book on Charlie Chaplin's movies. Right. But now you search for Chaplin. The book section and uh, online. His early films, his middle career, his talkies, yeah. uh, movies he planned to make but didn't. I mean, he,
2: we, we, we got. Sexual this... appetites. <laughs>
4: exactly, exactly. And there, there's probably things that, uh, you know, let's say there's more about Chaplin out there than I ever dreamed, and maybe some things I don't want to know, really. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, know. so we've gone from that. But uh, now with uh, you fellas. You're, I'm, I'm gauging that you. were – How did you guys develop your interest in movies? Was it as a result of the video age, or? Uh... Well,
2: I'll go last. I'll Let these guys talk.
0: Yeah, Eric, <laughs> you can go first. Oh yeah, no problem. Mine came late in life. Actually, I was, um, you know, in high school, I would watch movies. You know, in fact, my my parents brought me to see Star Wars and the drive uh, the drive-in. And uh, we saw ET and like, you know, kind of some of the blockbusters, but that was, those were a few and far between, you know. So we didn't, I didn't really grow up in a movie household until the VCR came around and we, when we had a rental store nearby and we would rent Ghostbusters and stuff like that. But it was always just recreation for me until, um, until I went to college, until I, um, uh, was in Bob Burgoyne's class who was on a previous episode and he I I just learned to love film I didn't realize how much how much there was to to learn and to love you know and that was watching Citizen Kane on a 16 millimeter with (laughs) the behind you the whole time you know you know and he showed us In a Lonely Place you know still my favorite uh, Humphrey Bogart film Um, and and just I just started learning that there is so much just The cinema history that I didn't know about, so I was just a casual, like a lot of people, a casual viewer until a couple of films got me, and that uh, in a Lonely Place was one of them. Uh, And I was like, "Oh, this is what I want to do. This is this is my thing." I didn't know this was my thing, but this is my thing. And so, well, speaking as
4: someone who's got a few years on you, there's one thing, and and it's not a complaint; it's actually a blessing in a way. As much as you think you know, something will come along, and you think, "Oh, you know, it's like." It's almost like you never saw a movie before. Mm-hmm. Something yeah. will come along and it will just kind of like shake up your uh, preconceived ideas of what you, how much you think you know.
3: Yeah. You For all love- you think you
4: know, there's there's a there's a world of movies out there. Uh, Nick did share some chapters of his book with me, and I'm I'm just amazed because it's like I didn't know this stuff. So
0: yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. What about you, Chris? I came in uh, from a slightly different angle. Um, Funny enough, I actually, E.T. was the very first film I ever saw in the theater. I was about five. And I was fascinated. It was, you know, it's still my favorite movie because of that. But I actually clued into the music. Um, And I, as I got older, um, I, my love of film music kind of gravitated towards musical theater. So my kind of my, my first real love was the theater and musical theater and that, Kind of kept all throughout um, elementary school, high school. Uh, so when I got into studying film, um, you know, and eventually my the I became a genre guy, and naturally my my genre of specialization was the musical. So you know, I I, I look at when I look at film, I look very very heavily through the lens of sound. Uh, funny enough, lens of sound, mm-hmm. um, and. I pay attention to sound and, and music and those are, those are my things and, and as well as popular music and film and, and classical music and the use of classical music and influence of composers. And of course the, the, the musical and the changing tide of the the musical. And that's, that's really um, been my, my first love has been, you know, music, the musical and musical theater. And, um, you know, as i went to grad school i i saw these all these other films and you know kind of like eric you know wow there's so much there's so much more to all of this you know there's the history there's the 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 other genres there's you know, every, everything to it uh there's television there's you know so i i just i i really just became a big nerd about it and wanted to learn every single thing i could uh about it and see as much as i could read as much as i could about it um, listen to as much as I could. Listen to tons and tons of soundtracks. So that's kind of my my entry into film is through music.
2: And, and mm-hmm. for, for yeah, me, yeah, well, Ted, I mean, it's kind of your Ferris wheel analogy. Except for me, it was like purely driven by my. Libido, really, which was just a, a very you know. <laughs> well,
3: well, well, what isn't right?
2: Yeah, right. But, but the thing is, is it was a real adolescent, uh, not even adolescent. It was a child, uh, child's libido. I was about. I mean, I remember very vividly, and you guys all know this. Uh, it's why I dedicate my book partially to her. Uh, I remember when I was five years old watching Rita Bell in Detroit, which was a you know a, a morning a morning movie show on WXYZ. The ABC affiliate here, and Gypsy came on the Warner <laughs> Brothers musical on Gypsy Rose Lee, of course, starring Natalie Wood, and my just jaw dropped, and I fell in love with this girl, as you know, as only like a five year old could. Uh, but it was the Ferris wheel analogy; it stayed with me, it lingered, you know. I mean, it really, really lingered, and I just wanted. And of course, I had uh, I had parents and grandparents who were like movie fanatics, so we grew up in a very very movie sort of literate household where uh, things like musicals and um, and the classics were always were uh, almost always on. You know, I mean, yeah, and it was a pre pre cable pre VCR yeah, childhood. So, but so we would all gather around the film around the television to watch. You know, uh, Casablanca or The Sound of Music or West Side Story or or The Wizard of Oz or whatever, and it just just magical. You know, I just I mean it the it was the medium just presented our dreams and our, uh, and our nightmares and our fears and our desires and our wants and our anxieties is all there on, on, you know, sort of like caught and represented right back to us. What's not to love, you know? So I, I felt hardcore back then.
4: Well, we, you fellas are, uh, have got an advantage really is that again, uh, I'm from an era where you either have to watch it on TV or there'd be a film society running 16 millimeter prints or whatever, and you have to track it down that way. There was not the convenience, uh, certainly, of just uh, going to Netflix or Turner <laughs> Classic Movies or anything like that and just say, in fact, a, a lot of these films that I would, have, I would read about and that were either considered lost or just kind of legendary are now very commonplace because of outlets like those. So even though I'm a few years older, uh, I could play a lot of catch-up because, mm-hmm.
2: you know, you were limited
4: to what TV station, whatever packages TV stations had, or whatever uh, access film societies had to certain prints. In fact, they. Uh, I always think of this now because whenever I'm in some kind of like a discounted drugstore or uh, like a. Uh, Electronic shop, and they've got these big bins of uh, cheap movies. Now look through them, and I think you know. Thirty years ago, I walked in five inches of snow. <laughs> to get, you know, to, to get to this, you know, the, uh, the Norris Center, say at the Northwestern University, just mm. to see this thing, and yep. now I can get it for three bucks here. So.
2: No, oh, it's so true. I I remember. Um, in the early, very early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, uh, uh, with my old roommate Fred going to uh, really small comic book conventions back when they weren't cultural, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
2: phenomenons or whatever. They were just, you know, here they were held at uh, little, you know, like uh, Knights of Columbus type places or, or, um, or I was at the Dearborn Civic Center here in Michigan. We'd go there, and we'd go hit up the uh, well, uh, uh, a magazine, uh, uh, a sort of like bootleg distributor that would always advertise in the back of a magazine you used to write for, which is um, Film Facts. Uh, there was always the Sinister Cinema. You know, uh, Sinister Cinema would be the place I'd go to to get a copy of Black Sunday, or to get a, to, to get the you bet your life uh you know, tapes or whatever whatever it was that I was trying to get my hands on that the mainstream had you know, had never gotten around to putting out. Um that's where I was going now now you just you know, it's just it's like it's unbelievable what I used to have to go through to try and get a print of something. And now I go onto YouTube and there's a there's a copy of it right there, you know? It's, it's- well
4: the uh you know another advantage is the fact that you get see much better prints. You uh, the, uh, the first yeah. time around for me, for a lot of these films, in fact, why I'm so sketchy on some of these titles, so I haven't caught up with them again, I would go to these uh, retrospectives on, say, Ozu or Kurosawa, and rare titles, but they were badly, pr- uh, badly manufactured prints, terrible yeah. subtitles, to the point where, you know, the kind of subtitles where they just bleed into the scenes, <laughs> and uh, so, yes, I've seen some of these quote-unquote classic films. But my memories of them are kind of vague because I didn't really see them under the best circumstances.
2: Yeah, you know, as I was writing this book, there was only one film that 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 still had I still had to watch this horrible, washed out, pathetic excuse. And that was yeah, that was El Huerto del Frances, which is paradoxical because it's an, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> so somebody's got to get around to doing that, assuming that there's good elements out there, but.
4: Well, where I uh, – I always, I've always loved movies, but where I started getting to be – became a real binge was uh, when home video became commonplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, binge to the point where, you know, like a guy walking to a bar, I don't care what kind – if he even pour it out of the bottle, give it to me. I mean, you, go, <laughs> you, you, go into, you go into a store with the idea of like, oh, well, I'm uh, one of those mom-and-pop video places. I'd like something like this, oh, do you have anything by Ingmar Bergman or whatever like that, and they're like, no, no, oh, that's out oh okay and and then you know you it 's never a oh i 'll come back when it 's in, or would you reserve that for me you, you just have to have something, and then invariably you veer towards uh the real exploitation stuff oh, sure. and, and and then and then after a while you you get uh, to the point where you don't even make the pretense that you're going to go in and rent anything resembling high art. <laughs> you just resent, uh, get the, all the commercial stuff. Nick and I have discussed this. How uh, It's funny know, that, it's was like a- that
2: you mentioned the trekking through the snow because you know, I started going to Chicago in around 1990, 1991 when my friend John moved there. And it was on those very first trips where um, I, would, I would walk. Oh, let me see. Probably about um, about four miles, about two miles there and about two miles back. But um, I would walk to Facets, you know, on Fullerton. Or was it – yeah, in Fullerton. Um, because Facets was sort of like the mecca of the Midwest for obscure titles, you know. Uh, so whenever I was in Chicago – is Facets still there? Yes, they are. Are they – okay, wow.
4: They're, they're still there. The last time I dropped in there, they still maintain – I was surprised. They still maintain a VHS library. Wow. Uh, Mainly because a lot of those titles still haven't, for whatever reason, still haven't hit DVD.
2: DVD or Blue, oh, yeah.
0: I remember having a, a, a rental-by-mail account with them. Where, oh,
2: really? Wow. Yeah,
0: yeah, you could you could rent something from them, and they would uh, mail it to you, and you had a couple days, and you had to mail it. But they, they sent a mailer with it, and you had to mail it back. And I, uh, a couple things from my dissertation, well, I guess it was my dissertation for my qualifying exam early on, and some stuff I wanted to teach, I got... VHS in the mail
2: from (laughs) Fast. From Fast, it's God bless.
4: They've been a staple. I I can't even begin to imagine how many years they've. And and of course, they have the auditoriums where they screen the movies.
2: Screened, right? Yeah, they have like community outreach, and
1: that's funny though that you're talking about the VHS because we, um, our IT department just outfitted our uh, the floor on the university where I teach with all of this high tech equipment. And uh, they said, oh, everything's all set with Blu-ray and wireless projectors. But the one thing they took out were were VHS players. Yeah, And several – I mean one of the guys in our department teaches uh, stuff on Vietnam and the stuff he has is all on VHS. So we actually had to go back to IT and say, hey, you know, we're a film department – we we need we still have stuff that we we have on VHS. It's not available right. on DVD or Blu-ray. Um, and they eventually they 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 put them back in for us. They were okay. you know they were really good about it and they put them back in for us. But it's funny that you know people oh it's like oh just you know throw in a Blu-ray player and you're fine. But you know there's 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 actually quite a bit of stuff out there that just has not made it to Blu-ray or yeah. DVD.
4: Right, it's some. Uh and I don't even pretend to understand it. some kind of legalities where on certain titles they were apparently for VHS, there's no problem. but when you get to uh, DVD, there's there's some kind of legal clearance that some legal hurdle right uh, that uh, that is tying up a lot of these things. So which is why if you go on eBay for you know just I guess type in a random title that you know that isn't on DVD yet and it, but VHS. They're going for well, not they're going for, but these sellers are trying to get ridiculous amounts for them.
1: Absolutely, sure. absolutely.
4: So, so in the meantime, uh, it's funny. I, I still have my VHS, a number of VHS tapes. Uh, Same here. And oh, uh, ditto here. But when they came out, I you know because I'm from an era where uh, if people had movies and they would collect eight millimeter and sixteen millimeter, and that that was just not as widespread. It was kind of like a little private collecting market mm-hmm. VHS kind of made, made the uh, well it leveled was the playing field for a lot of people now anybody could show, watch movies in their home and all that and the convenience of VHS I wasn't in on it at beta I kind of held off just to see which would be the dominant format and it turned out right. to be VHS and now I have VHS but with DVD I thought VHS was so convenient and so compact and so you know, like I say just whoa oh, oh, I, I how could it get better than this? And then our DVDs came along, and uh, it's like I'm looking at some a stack of VHS tapes here, and and it's like ha- they're like having cement blocks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but anybody who's ever had to move and yes. take their VHS collection with them, it's like uh, you, you know you really start to rethink, or you try to rethink. Eh, do I really need to carry this stuff? Yes. <laughs> of course, with me, I did. So that's yeah. why that's why I'm sitting here. Yeah, so, you know, we, you touched upon uh, the topic about books and uh, now how specialized they've become. See, when I st- developed an interest in movies, I would have welcomed anything. Like I, I can remember the first books on Laurel and Hardy or Humphrey Bogart or anybody who's been covered. Now, from your perspective, though, with all the books that are out there and, uh, and I'll count Nick's that's just about to come out, Is there any field of uh, study that is still overlooked or is kind of like underdeveloped?
2: No. (laughs) No? That's funny. Um, (laughs) I'll let the other guys speak, but I mean that's reaction
4: well, except for the oh, subject that you geez. tackled Nick right, Is there, right, I, I yeah, should have phrased
2: yeah. it that way Spanish
0: horror in the uh, you know during the uh, <laughs> certain period was was not covered but now now everything's been covered that was the last piece
4: Spanish <laughs> horror <laughs> Yeah, now everything's been done. just Nick to fill in the last piece
2: of the puzzle. Yeah, the very yep, last piece of the
0: puzzle. Now the all academic fields can fold. We don't
2: have yes, to. So <laughs> I've, I've, I've laid the last <laughs> piece of uh, <laughs> the, gold, the golden that spike at wall. Okay, <laughs> I've just put my trowel away. And um, no, no, but I can say this. Um, so, so you know, I graduated. You know, I mean, I started. I graduated high school in '88. So I'm not old, I'm not young, you know, sort of like in the middle there, and um, I mean, I know exactly what Ted's talking about when when it wasn't to the degree when he was like a teenager. There there really was a you know total lack of any any certainly very little scholarly other than like crack hour and stuff like that, you know, and 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 the French. But there was there was really no mainstream stuff except for these catch-all books he's referring to, you know, like the musicals, you know, and there'd just be one volume with a bunch of, you know, tons of black and white stills, you know. I mean, I have these books, you know. And uh but when I start when I'm start when I majored in film and I started like really looking into it. Um, the film journals were, you know, th- just covered the basics. There wasn't a whole lot of stuff in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, you know, out there. And, and we all know this from from looking at ProQuest and JSTOR and stuff like that. The stuff that's copyrighted from the 70s and 80s is really breaking breaking new ground, new territory stuff. And it was still, you know, like one of our previous guests, Ian Olney, talked about. Uh, a lot of genres were still really sort of um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Um marginalized and weren't really given uh, had very little constituency uh, and so you know like the horror film for example or sci-fi or fantasy or anything dealing with special effects was uh, comedies these were all like low culture stuff and um and so i saw so little out there on it i mean when i first chris mentioned film music earlier when I was uh, an undergrad, at, uh, you know, I was trying. I film music's a passion of mine. I was trying to find anything in print, and there was only one book in the entire world, or at least <laughs> North America, written on film music back then, which was a very general book, um, and that was it. Now there's four thousand, you know. And I mean, I-, I tell this story because I think it's representative of most areas that, you know, as, as the ubiquity of film studies and film curriculums have, have sort of, like, spread across the, the universities, so has the amount of shit that's been covered. There is very little out there. the very little stones left unturned, and if they're turning them, they're starting to get really, really, really specific.
4: Although, Nick, uh, and we, we have discussed this privately, there is still uh, European cinema. Now, European cinema, which is covered by European historians, but they're not in English.
2: Right, right. Yeah, this is a big... Pro- well, yes. I mean, my next book so would be on a subject that hadn't really been tackled very much in English, yeah.
4: Right, so, so there, there are still those... But, but I know what you mean, basically.
2: Um, Let's put it so, this way. Like, Anglo, Anglo film studies mostly has been pretty well covered, but I mean, I'd like to hear Chris and Eric, what they think, you know.
0: Like, when it comes to academic work... Uh, you know, stuff that, that that exists within the strange ecosystem of academia. It seems like just about everything's been covered. But, and it goes back to what you were talking about, Ted, about like this kind of hyper specialization, you know, like it's Disney films between 1938 and 1940 or something like that. Yeah. And, and- right, or from a particular approach and maybe even it would be just a reading of, you know, gender dynamics within Disney films what? between 1938 and 1940. Right? <laughs> horrific, um, right. As far as, like, general interest reading, um, stuff that's not strictly academic, I think that, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there, and, and I I think there's probably room for more. Just as, as people find prints or things come out on DVD and are more accessible, I can see people um, writing about that stuff. But, I mean, there is a lot, lot, lot out there. Nick's kind of unique in a way because he takes an academic approach, um, but... But as well steeped, also in a more I don't know how to put it, more um, easily readable. Accessible, <laughs> um, well, he, accessible. Yeah, is that is that pretentious? That's a good way to put it. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that's rare in our circles. You know, Very to, rare. to an extent, you know. Um, yeah, and there are reasons for that, and you know there are actually good reasons for that as well. But in terms of somebody, you know, taking a you know not just a catalog of movies or or just like some kind of um, you know opinionated piece or like a tell all, it's, it's something that's like informed, <laughs> you know, by well having uh, read Nick's uh,
4: ma- uh, Nick's material. Uh, what's nice about it, and it, I understand, uh, especially if you're talking about academia, it is a tough tightrope. Act, I guess, but uh, you know, sometimes a tree is just a tree.
3: Yeah.
4: And you know, it, so Nick is able to walk that line where he can examine a film, but not like really reach for something that isn't there.
2: Yeah, I don't want to manufacture. As, as as the old expression goes, I don't want to manufacture meaning. I like te- I like teasing out of it things that may not be apparent. Right.
4: Yeah, because so I mean, meaning is there eyes. in the film. That's that's right.
2: undeniable. Right. That's that's that was my thing. Is I'm not trying to make any claims that, you know, people are going to cry, you know, horse I'm just trying to sort of like take an object, turn it 90 degrees, shine a different light on it and read it in, in you know, with, with a different uh, mindset. And I think that goes back to what Eric was saying earlier, that there are top, there are still topics out there or even new interpretations of films that or directors that have been written about, you know, ad infinitum. Um, that are still really, you know, refreshing and interesting, um, and that that I think is healthy, uh, and because it, it gets people thinking in different ways, you know.
1: Although it was also, you know, we were talking about how the I think Nick you mentioned it, where you've had this proliferation of film degrees and and film uh, curriculums over the past um, couple decades, and I think that has. Played a very very large part in it. Where yeah. and it's not just film degrees. It's it's all of these these um, kind of splitting off of different programs. I mean, now you can get you can get degrees in um, especially in the humanities, in cultural studies, in film, music, uh, in uh, dramaturgy. It, Brown actually has a bachelor's degree in semiotics. And then you've also have this, you know, these all of these subfields. I was just actually talking to my students about uh, how there's this field called Disney Studies, which is just that. It is a whole body of literature that is solely dedicated to examination of Disney and porn studies, and you know, so you have all these kind of offshoot fields and offshoot degrees that has helped contribute um, to this, just wealth of literature out there and things just being overturned and reworked and reworked and reworked. And, you know, there is, there is a lot of refreshing stuff out there. I mean, that's, 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 that's good, but I think that's definitely been a, um, a, a contributor to it.
4: Now, do you, fi- do you fellas find that, uh, all those points that you just made, coupled with, uh, social media, do you feel that this is why the, uh, old established, or the formerly uh, established format of uh, the two critic review show has pretty much been killed off.
1: <laughs> yes.
3: I mean, in, yes. in, in the sense that yes. what, what I,
4: I draw off that is that you know, I, can, I can imagine people saying like, well, what do I need to listen to these guys for? I, I can form, my, not only can I form my own opinion, I can post my own opinion somewhere. Right,
2: exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I do think though that
0: people um, find uh, critics, or I mean, I don't know if that's even the right word anymore, but like on YouTube, for example, um, that they'll follow religiously, right? Like, it, it kind of like the old Roger and Ebert. I think the 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 um, the bar is much lower for access, you know.
3: But- well, yeah, first
4: of all, it, it, it ranges because I, I've seen the folks on YouTube mm-hmm. from uh, people who are just sitting there. Uh, Maybe they just got back from whatever, and they're saying, "Hey, I just got my new DVD," and fine. It, it's and it, it's interesting up to a point, but then you get a little more sophisticated. Like I don't know if you've uh, ever seen any of the stuff that the red letter media. No. Turns out. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it's, it, it, yeah. yeah it, it, it's it's yeah. well, it's it's an odd combination of being a, a comedy show essentially, a comedy uh, post plus. Review. But but they they look at films in a way that say like Gene and Roger mm-hmm. never really did. I mean, everybody's kind of a product of their generation. Right. And I noticed like some of these favorite books that I had that were written in the 60s. 1960s. And uh, among the first books there and I read some and, and I have s- such a nostalgia and they're still pretty good books but you can see that they're written by someone of that generation. Uh, the one I'll point out is a named named William K. Everson, who oh, wrote, yeah,
2: which I've uh, read several many
4: books. Times, yeah. my, my, fa- my favorite book because of the impact it had on me. Is sure still, I mean. Uh the films of Laurel and Hardy. But when you read Everson on, say, uh, horror films,
2: yeah, that's he's the praising part.
4: Universal, and he just cannot abide by Hammer, Hammer films. And that's you know, that's it. Uh, I I love the Hammer films, so it's like, oh, okay, uh, you know, go back and read that. And like, oh, okay, well, here's an old guy that's complaining, like, uh, well, you know these. Right, so it's, yes. It's, and almost know, like a, a classical our, music our, our purist talking bath- about rock and roll. Right. Uh, but then I mean, by the so same token, if somebody reads me, then, I mean, it's evident that I don't care for, like, uh, say, the Saw movies or things like that. So, And, and, I, and I guess what, I, what I'm saying is when I see stuff online like this and all that and see a younger... I, I'm interested in a younger generation's take on these movies. I may not agree with it, but it's nice to see it. Well, first of all, it's nice to see any discussion of these films because I, I think it film criticism like anything else does have to evolve.
2: Yeah, I yeah, but agree. There's a big I... problem there, Ted, because to, you know, after uh, Eric and I and Chris have been in the classroom for so long with, with students that invariably every single one that passes the threshold into your, into your room comes in with the idea that they're just going to give their opinions about film. And somewhere along the way, the like the, the the word critic somehow got conflated with the word criticize when what it means is critique, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and so what you have is a is a is two or three generations of you know comic book guys from The Simpsons, you know, worst movie ever, you know, that, that's sort of the <laughs> mentality that drowns out a lot of of the students that walk in or just people I like, you know meeting on the street or wherever. They're just they, they don't want to see film as something more than just something that they can decide whether they like or not. Whether you know it either it either fit their tastes, or it didn't, and uh, or it kind of did. Right, they kind of like the movie. Or they like certain things about it. And you know, obviously, our job has been to sort of like say, well, you know, this is a field of study which exists outside of your taste, believe it or not. <laughs> and so if you want to learn something about it. You got to table your tastes for right now. Uh, after and you know you always make all these, uh, and I've made it on the podcast a million times. You make all these jokes about how you know you don't walk into your other classes with ideas of what you you know what you like and what you don't like with, with regard to physics or chemistry or history. You know you need to learn it, you need to study it, um, and that's the problem with film studies is that it's uh, it's predicated so largely on taste rather than a, a genuine intellectual thirst for knowledge about the subject which is informed by your taste, let's put it that way.
4: Well, the, the other thing, that, uh, one thing that's always bothered me about film criticism, quote-unquote, is this kind of, uh, the folks that have this attitude, like it's like their opinion is absolute. Yes, oh yeah. And, you know, like anything, it's an opinion. I mean, somebody can criticize your opinion or question your opinion, but it doesn't mean your opinion is wrong. Right. Because it's your opinion. And, and I, 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 like I said, I, there was a lot of that earlier on when you had fewer authors, if you will, or fewer historians. Uh, By the way, historian, isn't isn't that pretty much a self-assigned title?
2: Yeah, but no, you're a a film historian big time, Ted. You're like, you know, the most accomplished film historian I know.
4: Well, you should get out more. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. no, Thank thank, thank you, Nick. But it's more or less like when you're doing this kind of stuff, it's not like, oh, you know, I'm... I, you know, it's it's not like a moment from Gone with the Wind. I swear by God. Well, one day I will be a historian of uh, you know, <laughs> great, No, no. And, and, and and for the record, there are no historian groupies. Or if there are, they're not hanging around me. Okay, yeah. so it, it, but you know, histo- historian is is. I just started using that tag because other people tag me. I mean, it's like well, okay, if historian is Latin for a, a guy who sits on the couch and watches a lot of movies, I, I guess <laughs> yes. Why, by golly, I am a historian. Yes. <laughs> But, uh, you know, what, I, what I've always tried to keep in mind, and I'm not always successful, I'll admit, is that, okay, when I'm passing judgment on something, it's my opinion. I try to have an informed opinion, but if somebody comes along and says, questions it, all right, you're entitled to your opinion. I, I, I wouldn't consider him wrong, and I hope they wouldn't consider me wrong. But it, it, like I say, it's that little give and take that I, I, I'm always bothered when that thing is, when it's missing. Sure. And I think for a while, for as much as a uh, goodwill as they promoted with movies and all that, the Siskel Ebert format, uh, whether uh, probably not by their design, it just made things a little too easy. Okay, thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. And I, I realize for television, for you know, right. you've got you know you don't have the time uh, or the wherewithal to go into it. It's not like the classroom. And all But it made it just so easy to just dismiss a, or sum up or dismiss a movie sure. in just a, a, a single gesture. That, that's where I think it kind of went off, not went off the rails, but it, it just.
0: I feel like I don't uh, that's happening now with like uh, Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic, where like, oh, Rotten Tomatoes, you got a 76%. You know, what does that even mean? How can you quantify that, right? There's no thought behind it. And I think we've all looked at that before. And I think it's the same same sort of thing. Like somehow you wanna make this somewhat objective uh measure of how good or bad a movie is, which is, you know, extremely simplistic obviously and and uh but there's this kind of it smacks of objectivism, right? Objective, objectivism—is that the word I'm looking for? Objectivity,
4: uh, right? You okay. know, and uh, objectivity. Hey, do expect- I'm a historian, not a linguist. So right, know. right.
1: <laughs> well, it, it 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 takes something as complicated as a as a film, and like you said, it 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 boils it down to this number. And I think for some people they like that, but it's doing such a disservice to the film because there can be certain aspects of the film that are very, very good or certain aspects of the film that are uh, very, very not good. But they you can have those elements all in one film. And where so where where does that, where do you put that, right? At where, where, what point, what number then do you right. and then it, give it, that? Right.
4: It's symptomatic of the public, and I'm not saying, you know, not a bash to the public or anything. And it's not anything that's new, but the, uh, the general public wants something, you know, give me a quick, quick fix. Well, so, uh, right. Hence the four stars. So, well, uh, I still have friends. Uh, they love movies, the good people. But if I have a discussion with them uh, beyond people of, uh, say, Nick's caliber. They'll just, they just—they just want me to boil it down and say, "Well, what do you? How many stars do you give it?" And, <laughs> nice. and it's like, "Okay, well, all right." I mean, I mean, first of all, I realize it's a ploy to get me to shut up, so that I'm aware of. But you know, you have to stop and think. Okay, well, from one to four, what would I what, what I give it? Um, but but that's it's almost like they can't. It doesn't register. Unless you put it in those terms.
2: You remember the old, uh, Ted, right. t- on SCTV, the old Farm Report f- film review? Remember? It, it blowed up real good. <laughs> that was a good film. There's lots of explosions. It blowed up. It blowed up real good. You know, it's like, uh, so they were, you know, they were even t- taking pot shots at uh, the average moviegoer's intelligence back then, you know, uh, and, and you know, and I think it was meant to sort of like try to raise the bar a little bit um, that were just not a not a nation of uh, stick stones and whatever Harlan else. Well, L's you know, uh,
4: social media, you know, the internet, that's, uh, that's responsible for the, uh, the grand tradition of the movie guide books, like this latest edition of Leonard Moulton movie guide.
2: It was the last one, yeah. It was the
4: last one. Right, so that... Uh,
2: that's sad.
4: It, it, well, it is, I, mean, I, I, I had my issues with the rating system.
2: Me too. Uh,
4: there, and, and I thought sometimes I would look at uh, some of those entries and say, well, like, what movie were you watching? Because <laughs> I, I saw the same movie, and, uh, and and some of those ratings seemed to be rubber-stamped, and I guess it couldn't be helped because they were constrained by that four-star rating.
2: Right, so it went in doubt, two and a half.
4: <laughs> exactly, two or two and a half. That, <laughs> that, 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 well, I always felt that two meant you hadn't seen the movie in a while, and two and a half – Man, you, probably, you may not have seen this. It's such a non-committal, middle-of-the-road review that you know you can—you can stamp hundred films, two and a half that you've never seen, two and a half stars, and you're probably going to be right about seventy percent of the time.
1: <laughs> That's very true. But you also just said something that was very important as you said social media. I mean, look at how we're communicating, right? We're look we're communicating in little bites of data, little Facebook updates, we're commuting in tweets, we're communicating in little Instagram comments. So wouldn't it stand a reason that when it comes to something like a film, which is I think without debate, the most important art form in our history uh, that we're just going to boil it down, you know. It, it's part of that that Twitter, Facebook, uh, MTV generation. This is well. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to interact with you in real life and have a discussion about the film. Uh, I just want two and a half stars, uh, and then I want to talk to people through. You know, I just want to tweet and I just want to Facebook about it. I don't. I don't want to actually have a discussion. I want to have. I want to sum it up in as little in as little. Mm-hmm bit of a, a chunk as possible so I can then go on to the next thing and then go oh, on. Oh, sure.
4: It's as, as little thing, interaction. I thought, well, you know, you too. see this uh, in social situations where you're out at a restaurant or something and there are people who are sitting at the same table and, and a couple of them may be out of that group or more maybe texting someone and it's mm-hmm. almost like, well, you know, the people sitting across from you are not getting the attention that whoever you're texting is, and that, that I always I always find that a little. Again, I'm from that generation where we you know we actually talk to each other. Maybe not, not yeah. much, but uh, yeah. And it's almost it's it's this. I will say this: there's a lot of things competing for your time.
2: Yeah. Oh well, yeah. True. I mean,
4: television. When I was a kid, there were the networks. There were a couple of local stations. That's it. And TV did not go twenty-four-seven. Yeah. I mean, I. I I don't even know if people know these days where they, you know, to me, TV would end uh, maybe on a weekend like 3 in the morning. you you hear the Star Spangled Banner and then it would go to the Phosphor Dot. And now it's like 24-hour television was something. When when that became the norm, uh, I I was just bowled over. Like, wow, they've got enough product for 24 hours?
2: I think, you know, I wanted to go back to something Chris said a second ago. I think he's absolutely right about how people talk about the stuff um, you know it 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 is uh, perhaps a bit more truncated than it used to be, uh, but the funny thing is is that nothing has happened to our appetite for narratives, if anything it's even more pronounced now than it 's ever been, and this is evidenced through clearly a lot of the really spectacular television in the last fifteen years um, so we 're still narrative junkies, and then when a film comes along that provides a really gripping narrative with or without doesn't have to have spectacle driving it, but uh, it helps if it does like our, our episode on gravity or we might be doing something on interstellar really soon here. It seems to me that that's where cinema functions on, you know, it pumps on all eight cylinders in the way that no other art form can, you know, uh, Eric and I went and saw interstellar and I don't want to, no, sorry, Fred and I went and saw interstellar. Eric saw it on his own and I'd, I don't want to get into it very much, but I think that it's, it's exactly the type of film that, that does something that these other types of, uh, narrative things that we watch just can't touch sort of like the sensory aspects of it and the immersion, especially in an IMAX, uh, theater is just, it's unbeatable. And so, um, there is a, there's an interesting paradox there that, uh, from what Chris said, to the fact that we're still narrative junkies. You know, well, no, in like, terms oh. of
4: long form narrative uh, on television, uh, the greatest thing I've ever seen is probably the, the Wire.
2: Oh yeah, we're all in agreement on that. <laughs> and Absolutely. it's like you know, I, yeah. I mean,
4: in other words, when, when I'm discussing TV with the it's almost like you have to put The Wire, you have to take it out of the conversation because yeah. otherwise, nothing is. Re- I mean, it's like right. okay, we all agree. The wire is like fantastic, and it's on a level of its own. Okay, now we'll talk about the other television.
0: <laughs> right. right, I agree completely. Yeah, and
4: I, I've not—I've not seen uh, American Sniper yet. No, but I've, I've, uh, people within my group have given it uh, pretty high marks.
0: Yeah, that's that's a very controversial film. I haven't seen it yet either, but it's one of those films that's going to press buttons one way or the other, right? And that's a film that people are talking about a lot because it's 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 controversial. You know, I was thinking while while you know I was kind of trying to process some of this this idea of people aren't saying as much or they're being shorter. You know, I've seen a lot of long articles about about American Sniper. You know, people have a lot to (laughs) say. I think there's a lot going on. I think there's. We have a lot more movies, like more movies are released every year than the previous year, you know. And, and I think I don't know what the numbers are, but the number of movies that were released in 2014 compared to, say, 1974. Oh, yes. You know, it, it, we just have more movies to watch. And on the other side of it, everybody has a voice now everybody can have a YouTube channel or a blog or a you know or a podcast as as we can attest right I mean, if we have a podcast anybody can have a podcast but
4: um, oh, no, I, you know? hey, there, there's some there's some fascinating stuff uh in both categories i've read I've read some amazing articles on blogs to the point where it's like sure. wow I hope other people have taken notice of this because it they, they uh these dedicated souls who really search out a subject or Take the time to uh, analyze it. It's like, wow, this this is stuff that deserves a uh, wider and, and and who am I to say? Maybe it does have a wider audience online than it ever would in print. Right,
0: right, possibly. Yeah, yeah, or maybe it's just you.
4: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, you, you, well, first of all, you wonder, like, gee, am I am I the only one that's ever read this? Thing? you know, you, you, you get that. But but, but then uh, conversely, Nick you'll have that same feeling yeah, at some point in the
2: time. Like, like,
4: hmm, I wonder who, if anyone, is reading my
3: book. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs>
2: I'll find out, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> Those are yeah. the royalty checks.
4: No, congr- and, and and Nick, you get to the point where you, you, you know, you'll get that, when you hold the book in your hands, you'll, it, it, that's one of the register. But it'll also register, like, wow, I wouldn't be holding a book on this subject if I didn't write it myself.
2: Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, I was having a joke with, um, with Eric recently. Um, and I can't remember if you and I talked about it, Ted, and I know Chris and I don't think, I don't think Chris and I have talked about it, about, um, Harlan Ellison made this comment, uh, in a video about uh, 10 years ago about how the only, re- basically to, to, to boil it down, he said that the only reason that writers write is for posterity. Um, and I understood exactly what he was talking about, but I wasn't sure I agreed with him. You know, I thought it might have been a little, a little too bit of a a blunt way to put it. Kind of a not very romanticized uh, uh, notion of why we write, um, and because I, 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 it, it took away all of the sort of like romantic inspiration and aspiration. Like I write because I'm, you know, I have to get it out of me, and I have, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? I think after I finished the book and sort of like typed the end. Damn it, he was right. It was like there was this great, this great feeling I had when I was like, "Aha! If I have that heart attack right now, I, 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 I went into the grave and I finished this damn thing, and people can read it." You know, and he was right. It was, it was really for posterity. Um, I just had to get it out. You know, it's, it's it's just, and so I think, obviously, why was I? Why would I disagree with Harlan? You know, he's been doing <laughs> it long, but he was, yeah, he was right. Well, and, it's also you know if you if you have. That
4: kind of burning interest in the subject, and you have that, all that accumulated knowledge, you do want to share it. Yeah.
2: Which brings right. us to you, Ted. We should talk about some of, you know, and I, I know the, the, the listeners are going to be interested in, like, you know, what you've written about, whether it's been your magazine work or, uh, or your books. You know, we should.
4: Well, they've always, it's never been uh, intentional, but they're always about subjects that very few people write about. Uh, it could be the case that very few people care about them, but it's just that
3: uh, I, 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 you know,
4: a lot of writers, as you know, Nick, will kind of specialize in one genre, mm-hmm. but I've never done that because I've always felt, okay, well, somebody else is covering that. In other words, just about every book that I've been involved in, and I've got a, a lot of good people helping out co-authors helping me along is because I've waited for a book on that subject and subsequently it's like, okay, well, I guess nobody's, all right, well, let's do it. I'll talk to some, that's how a lot of books, say it's never like, Hey, let's do a book. It's like, yeah, do you, is there a book on that? No, I guess. Well, okay.
2: Well, Oh shit, I'll have to write it myself.
4: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, and, and it's, uh, because the financial rewards, uh, aren't there. I mean, <laughs> any, anybody who tells you, I, I have to laugh sometimes because some people are just like, like, Oh, as much as you think, caution them, Nick, you're not one of these, fortunately, but what some of these folks, they think they're going to make such a windfall.
3: No, no, on I a still book, like on, You know, like,
4: <laughs> you know, uh, like on a book on some, uh, very, you know, uh, uh, a cultish, but very niche market interest, like character actor or something. And, and they think they're going to be toppling John Grisham. And it's like, no, it's, <laughs> that, it's, that's not going to happen. So it, it, it's, it's basically, I, what I draw upon is, uh, Things that I, I I just know this stuff anyway, so it's like I don't know if I personally would say I'm writing for posterity. It's just that well, I guess I've got all this stuff down. I might as well take it a step further. Take it a step further. Uh, yeah. How to flesh it out and all that. I have I've done a couple of books on local television, for instance, or um, oh, just subjects that most people e- either they don't know the sub the s- subject is very obscure or. A friend of mine, uh, Jim Nibler, and I—we co-wrote a book on Jerry Lewis, his films. Not a not a biography. I mean, there's a couple out there, but sure. at the time, there was no examination of his films in the English English language. There was a, uh, I think, a couple of one in French, obviously, and uh, maybe in one other one. But at the time, so we did that, and uh, again, we were just surprised nobody had tackled it. I, I think there's been a, one or two books after that. But, you know, it's always like, okay, well, we know this stuff. We're familiar with the material. Let's go for it. I, I, I never set out to say, oh, I'm going to, you know, between now and, say, six years from now, I'm going to write X number of books.
2: Let's talk about the Jerry book for a few minutes because I'm a Jerry Lewis fanatic. And, and uh, one, of, one of my uh, colleagues at Wayne State, one of all of our colleagues, Chris, Eric, and I, and, and he was on Eric's committee, Steve Shaviro is a is a Jerry Lewis nut. I mean, he's... well,
4: I'll, I'll say this: uh, both Jim and I would love to have the chance to revamp that because when we wrote it back in nineteen ninety, around we wrote it between ninety one and ninety three, mm-hmm. it came out in ninety five. Uh, a lot of stuff was not. Of the, I mean, like a lot of authors at that time, we had to rely on. Uh, for the more obscure titles, really low-grade right. vo- bootleg videotape, things like that. And there are certain things that we, we've seen subsequently. And then we're, we're both a little older, so I think we'd be better at putting things in perspective. So we'd like to get a crack at that. Uh, well, I, I, will, I will say this. I think it's a good book. I do I'm proud of it. I think uh, for the time. I mean, and if... if if there's any criticism that I can level against it, it's that it just needs to be updated. But you know, it, that's think, not- yeah, a
2: revised edition would be great, considering a lot of that material has been found and uh, not found, but given given a much better uh, treatment. Um, do you have a, a favorite? You know, I know it's hard to ask. I mean, but you you know, I'm a huge Jerry fan too. And yeah. do you have a um, a favorite Jerry Lewis film, or you know, is there one that stands out, or is that too hard to pick? Uh...
4: I don't know about one. I mean, I, I do like the, of course, the Nutty Professor a lot. Right. I have very fond memories of the Bellboy because I saw that in the theater. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know if I could narrow it down to, uh, one. If, if, you know, I, the, the, I could, probably the best I could do is probably, uh, I'd narrow it down to either Nutty Professor or It's Only Money, which is like, uh, un- not. Yeah, isn't that funny that we uh, both yeah.
2: love It's Only Money so much?
4: Right. And, uh, uh, and it was a surprise to find out that neither Jerry nor the director Frank Tashlin
2: that was Tashlin thought, yeah.
4: thought much of it. They both, but dis- they they both thought it was. Ah, it was like, it's well, okay. so
2: absurd! Oh my God, Chris! Yeah, er, er, it, it, it's, yeah one it's one so they, sp- n- they never
4: had any high regard for." And then, and then, the, 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 there's the Martin and Lewis years, which are almost like a separate,
2: separate sort of yeah category. I'm a big there. fan of also of the Ladies Man. Um, And uh, that that set blows me away, and I actually like Who's Mind in the Store a lot. Just maybe it's because I love Jill St. John so much, you know. But uh, yeah, and my
4: co-author Jim—that's if I'm not mistaken—I believe that's his favorite Jerry Lewis movie. So it's a
2: lot of fun, you know. And then of course, Cracking Up, or or uh, um, what's its other title? Oh, Smorgasbord. Smorgasbord. Has got the, you know it probably has my second or third favorite Lewis bit of all time, which is the Zane Busby uh, waitress. You know that's that's oh my god! Yeah, I,
4: I'm I'm surprised that film. You know at the time, uh, well the way we approached it was this: if there was a film that uh, generally if we, I covered the Martin Lewis years and the solo years. Jim handled a lot of that, but but even within those two divisions, the way we handled it was like look if you like the film better than I do, you you take the... You take it. Because there are are some that we're divided on. Uh, Like, which way to the front? Which I never
2: saw. uh, I think it's
4: an interesting misfire. Uh, Jim happens to think it's a very strong effort. uh Uh, Both of us like it more than the critics generally did, which just just very... It's very indulgent. It is very, very self-indulgent. But with Lewis the self-indulgence is what's, uh, I think it was in Orson Welles uh, he, in one of the uh, Peter Bagdanovich interviews, he was talking about uh, the ladies' man. Eric? And I, and I guess he said that, uh, you know, Lewis is, he found Lewis uninteresting when Lewis played it safe. But when he was overindulgent and went too far, that's when he, that's when uh Wells thought he was really strong.
2: Oh, really? That's when he thought he was really strong. Okay, that's fascinating.
4: Right. Hey, by the way, I'm going to have to depend on you guys to keep the uh, stopwatch here. So <laughs> I'm just babbling away here, so I don't know what's uh, you know t- time stands still for me. So.
0: That's fantastic. I wish I wish it would do so for me as well.
4: No, I think <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll have you as long as we'll – let you talk as long as you want to, to be honest with you. This is uh, fascinating I mean, say it's
4: so for me mentally. Physically, that's another story. <laughs> Physically, right. Right. Time, is, time is like a, a
2: runaway buckboard. You know? it's just- Chime in with questions because, I mean, I, I know Ted pretty well, so I could I, – you know, this will – yeah
4: Look, you know, cherry pick what you can – assuming you can use anything, just just cherry pick whatever – <laughs> yeah, whatever
0: what you feel is usable. Right, right. Well, I'm going to do a whole lot of editing, so we'll probably use most of it. So <laughs> because I'm lazy, I'm lazy these days. But um, <laughs> more than more than anything, you know, I, I think Nick, uh, we we talked uh, a couple days ago, maybe yesterday, about uh, potential topics, and we decided just to kind of keep it general. Which I'm really glad we have because this has been so far really. Fascinating and, and great, um, but one of the things Nick that you you mentioned that you want to talk about was the the idea of film history and why we don't have film historians like ted as much anymore um maybe we touched on that a little bit when we were talking about the generational stuff but
2: yeah we did a little bit i mean i have some 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 deeper thoughts on it that i wanted to share and then get ted's reaction to it and i mean a lot of it stems off of what chris said uh you know 20 minutes ago about how not only are there is there an overproduction of phds in film studies but in film studies across various disciplines you know i mean you've got like you know, engineers like civil engineers, you know, getting degrees and writing books about film, you know, and, and cityscapes and landscapes and things like that. And so, I mean, there's like a tremendous amount of, of, uh, subject, uh, uh, subject matter out there to choose from. And, you know, I, I've, I've noticed a decline in the quality, I think of, of, uh, scholarship because I find it to be so myopic in certain ways. Um, and by that, what I mean to suggest is that I see – and I've seen this firsthand in, in, in going to conferences and going through many years of graduate school – is that uh, particularly I think it's, 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 um, it's a generational thing. Uh, it seems like before people want to become a general surgeon, they're going directly right into their speciali- you know, specialization. They're like uh, – and, and, and the analogy I'm making here is before people tend to sort of like become a general cinema expert, they're focusing on their specialty. And I, I think that's harming the, 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 the area of study as it would harm any area of study if people are just becoming so self-interested in what they're interested in, so self absorbed what they're interested in. Naturally, you're supposed to become a, a specialist about something, but that doesn't preclude the idea that you're supposed to be a generalist first. That's just my two cents.
4: No, I, I agree with that because um, I see that particularly evident in the field of uh, folks who uh, are ex- and, and they know, uh, don't get me wrong, they know a lot about the subject, but in the field of like horror and science fiction, mm-hmm. they're, they're very, they're so indoctrinated, but the thing is, that's, that comes with a limitation. They're fo- so focused on that. I mean, uh, I think I've mentioned this to you, Nick, the uh, Comparison I use is that that you know for these guys the only Fred Astaire film they've seen is Ghost Story.
2: Right. Yeah. Exactly.
4: And and, and because of that it's it's like all right that's fine I mean that's their preference but then how you know how can the, I don't know if you can really come to that uh, on an informed assessment.
2: No, they if you're can't. not aware, oh, not aware of the broader picture.
1: That's, it's impossible. They can't do it. They they, they
2: can't make the synaptic connections because if like like you just said if. All they know is the horror film, and they see Fred Astaire. They're like, oh, or you know, Melvin Douglas or whatever, or, you know, or, or, or Fairbanks. They're just like, oh yeah, go go story. And it's like, no, you that's exactly. You know, the, you, obviously, you don't know your film history. And so, when I'm reading a book or an article, and I'm like, I know more about this about this subject matter than they do, and they're the ones that are publishing about it. I'm like, something's wrong here.
4: Well, I, you know, you touched upon the history. It's not only, I think, the history of. Uh, what was going, you know, going on in the industry at a given time? It's just what was going on in the world at a given time too, and I think if you just watch the movies without that awareness, oh yeah, it, it's it's uh, you know because uh, not with every movie, of course, but uh, with a number of films, those factors do play into it.
1: Yeah, they absolutely play into it, and I I, I see this sometimes when it, whether it's reading books or or, or talking to people, whether they. All that, and it's kind of like this: the 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 horror fan who only watches is horror is the 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 person who is writing about film, and all they know is film. You know, and I think film is one of those areas where you have to bring in so many other subjects along with it. You know, and and I and I and and I always I always you know say that you know that I think a a graduate education in film. Is is one of those? It's it's tough because you're not only just you're not just studying film. You're studying film. You're t- you're studying psychology. You're studying art criticism. You're studying music. You're studying history. You're studying in some cases linguistics. You know you're you're studying all these 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 different areas, and they they intersect. You're studying advertising. You're studying you know and public relations. All of these things intersect and if you're not willing to look at and culture and, and journalism and if you're not willing to look at all those other factors that are contributing to what makes a film popular and why you know why the economics of predictability are holding uh, holding true for a certain genre's revival or or or, or whatnot. Um then, then you're doing a disservice to yourself, and you're doing a disservice to you, your readers, because you, you're not able to connect those dots, right? And and oh. when I even when I when I teach media criticism or mass, comm- mass communication, I'm always trying to uh, impress upon students to connect those dots that it's there's so much more than just the one topic. It just it it constantly. Overlaps, and that's so oh, important.
4: of course. And, and you know, I, w- all, what I'm going to say is an oversimplification. But I know one of the key differences of uh, that I noticed in filmmakers of like the Golden Age, as opposed to contemporary filmmakers, certainly. Uh, a lot of the Golden Age filmmakers, they made, when they were making their movies, they drew upon their knowledge of music or the arts or literature. Right. Right. Contemporary ones—they draw upon their, you know, their me- their memories of watching other movies.
1: Right, right.
4: So that's exactly it, it's like, right. yeah. So and so, what you get is kind of like uh, instead of something that's drawing upon all these influences, you get some, which is why you get so many, I guess, remakes or uh, uh, feature length versions of TV shows or things like that. And
1: it's the same thing for- is happening in music too. You you look at popular music and you look at. Um, a lot of these 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 contemporary, uber contemporary musicians in the last couple of years are all all they're doing is is rehashing other pop musicians. They're not looking back to classical. They're not looking back to blues. They're not looking back to roots, bluegrass. You know, music that you know that really kind of helped shape modern rock. They're looking at other pop songs, you know, and they're rehashing it
4: you bring up a good point because you think of uh, not all that long ago, really, uh, not for me anyway, you had various, you know, all these different styles, trends in music that were equally popular, you know, they were they were really appealing to different demographics. Now everything is so shoehorned. Like it's got to fall into like one of three categories. Right. Or, or a record label isn't even interested in uh, marketing the thing.
1: Right. Right,
4: right. Cause, and, 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 I mean, as a, and as a result, you get a lot of, I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't the potential for great music still being made, but you get a lot of, more so than ever, you get a lot of rubber stamp personalities, because it, it's basically now become very cosmetic as right. well. We're, 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 selling, we're selling the pack. We're not really, it's, it's not really about selling the music anymore. It's about selling the image.
1: The image, the package, and it's all, everything's crossover right mm-hmm. everything's crossover there is no pop there is no bluegrass country there is no jazz you have everything's crossover you know we we we, we have to we have to sell the image we have to make it, 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 it crossover so that there is there, there is no true genre of 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 this type of music and it's it's really sad. I mean, and you're, I agree, Ted. I think that there is the potential for good music, but I think that it is a needle in a haystack, especially well, with the country pop, especially music in particular. Pop.
4: That is that that line is it's blurred to the point where it's not. You know, how is a lot of that country music not pop music? I, I just
1: it's I don't all know pop. How
4: they, yeah, I don't know how they justify. I mean, okay, you come out wearing, you know. Uh,
1: western hats fine that doesn't make you a country right right singer you, you, at, at, you, you wear a western hat, you throw Jesus into a song, and you you mention uh, a breakup in your dog I mean that yeah you're right that's not a that's not a country singer uh and a lot of these contemporary country singers I mean you look at you know you wonder did they even listen to Johnny Cash did they listen to Patsy klein did they uh listen to Waylon Jennings did they listen to um uh, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers, pr- probably not. They, you know, they just sort of said, "Hey, someone said, Hey, you you're you're good looking. You look good in a pair of jeans and a cowboy hat. Go go go! Sing some country songs in Nashville and and make it make it very uh, poppy, and we'll start we'll start playing you on country music stations."
4: Well, I, uh, it's I must uh, cor- please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's my understanding that a number of country stations don't even play like Patsy Klein or early Johnny Cash anymore.
1: Oh, yeah. They don't. They, do. they don't.
4: And, uh, and and it's like, and you think, well, could these, name two, Patsy and John, could they even have a career these days if they were just starting out? I don't think no. so. No, they couldn't. I uh, was riding uh, to Florida uh, a couple summers ago on my way to Disney World with uh, friends of mine, and we drove through Memphis, and that's where they, I'm sorry, I, not Memphis, uh, Nashville, I mean, where they have the country music museum, Mm
1: -hmm. right?
4: and so I thought, okay, I mean, that wasn't really on my mind, so we get, uh, we're driving through, we weren't really, we've got to stop maybe to have a meal and just keep going, and I see this huge, huge billboard for Carrie Underwood, Mm -hmm. and I, I thought, oh, she must be appearing at some kind of stadium or whatever, and as we get closer, the billboard is for the opening of the Carrie Underwood exhibit. At the Country Music Museum, and uh, I, I don't have anything against Carrie Underwood. I think she's got—you know—that's fine. You know, God bless her. But I thought, really, really, she's got an exhibit at a museum. I mean, <laughs> right?
2: Yes, King I, I mean, I, I, and, and uh, Carrie Underwood. <laughs>
4: yeah, I mean, I mean th- th- this is like seeing Arnold This is like autobiographies of, by uh, 12-year-olds. You know, like, really? Have you, have you really put in that you know, sign? <laughs> I mean, I mean wh- wh- you know, what, what, what are they going to show her? Her grade school lunchbox? I mean, what, what, kind, of, what kind of Carrie Underwood memorabilia? <laughs> Warren, memorabilia. It's an exhibit in a museum, let alone a billboard, that, that political candidates could only dream of.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah, and, and then the following week they're doing the uh, Spuds McKenzie exhibit, too. So. Exactly,
4: yeah, it's right. like, oh, jeez, you know, I guess. And, 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 of course, I'm thinking in my mind, yeah, okay, well, what they probably did was they uh, had to put the uh, Johnny Cash and the uh, Patsy Klein exhibits in storage. Right,
1: yeah. <laughs> right,
4: you know. to make room yeah.
1: for the Carrie yeah, Underwood. Move over
4: Gene Autry, we got Carrie Underwoods here. Exactly, exactly. No. <laughs> I, I thought of that well uh, maybe not the best uh, comparison but uh, how many times has Steve Martin hosted the Oscars was it once or twice it, it, well I'll just he say he hosted for,
2: Baldwin once and then I think he did a solo
4: yeah um, <laughs> it, it, it was a, it was a solo then uh, what kind of sums that up was he was doing his monologue and whether this was prepared or an ad lib but it, he made his point he looks off and uh towards the back row Mickey Rooney is sitting in the back Mm -hmm. and he says hey there's Mickey Rooney hi Mickey sorry we couldn't get you closer to the stage but Vin Diesel's here (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) and and, and and that's pretty much that's you know
0: know, that's pretty much it feeling when uh, at the Golden Globes this year um, George Clooney got the Lifetime Achievement Award right? and I'm (laughs) I'm like what?
2: (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> yeah know, was, I, I thought the same thing eric me
1: too <laughs> me too and that,
2: yeah, not that, I, I like george clooney plenty sure. but you know then, then i watched the sag awards the following weekend and they're honoring debbie reynolds and i'm like yeah well that makes sense that makes
0: sense yeah. right exactly that makes um, sense right so. so. <laughs> yeah. well, it's like
4: when i see the uh even even uh, what is it the mark twain awards Some of these people, I say, really have some of these people put in their
3: time, but so
4: well. I mean, realizing, of course, that a lot of the people they should be giving the awards to uh, passed away years before that. So,
0: right, true, true. Yeah, I think the movie industry is going through the same thing as the music industry, though. You're talking about pop and country and all the crossover. It's the same thing. It's all kind of, you know. uh, Audience demographics and, and, you know, analysis of how much money you can make and all that stuff. And they pour so much money into the blockbusters and so little money into everything else with this calculation of making money. And I, I, it's, they're making more movies than ever, but there's less, it's hard to find the good stuff sometimes. And sometimes there's not a lot of good stuff to see, you know? And,
2: and they're uh, so, Eric, they're so ignorant of history. If they go back and look at things like, um, the Full Monty, or Blair Witch, or Shakespeare in Love, or all these movies that went on to make like ridiculous return of investments, you know, like uh, you know, well over the hundred million dollar mark, and we're talking a long time ago too, that they would realize that they, it's not a, a a a gamble to finance a film like Boyhood, you know, it's not that big a gamble, it, 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 and, and in fact, will will really pay off, but. They have such sort of like blockbuster blindness. Hey, I like that. Blockbuster blindness. They have such blockbuster blindness. Hey, cop, blockbuster copyright that, blindness. Nick. Copyright, copyright that. that. Yeah. I Taylor Swift today. I'm going to copyright that, you know? I don't know if you guys saw that on the news, but Taylor's copywriting all these sayings uh, so that she can sue people. If, if they do a mashup or they wear a t shirt or a bumper sticker with uh, the lines like, a party like it's 1989, she copyrighted that. Taylor Swift oh yeah is funny uh, she stole that Taylor Swift oh, just, is she, doing that yeah yeah t- today that's clever as so, a so, joke t- I hope right so Taylor Swift evidently
4: Taylor Swift does not have enough money is what what you're saying right? she has to, <laughs> she has yeah, to resort she to over these 200 kind
2: of mil and she apparently the lawyers convinced her that she needs to copyright all these sayings like that song uh, that one song that's got this one line in it I don't know They that copyrighted all these different look it up you'll see no it's not a joke Eric it's serious Oh I don't know what the hell God. made you bring that up in the first place. Blockbuster blindness. Uh, oh yeah, copyright. <laughs> yeah, patent pending. Everybody.
4: Uh, well, you know, you had mentioned about the reluctance to uh, for uh, the studios to back anything that isn't a blockbuster to invest in the, the money. I have not seen, as I mentioned, I have not seen American Sniper. But what I do know is that there is a boatload of production credits, like El Paso, all that, or like I guess it was all these companies that. Eastwood had to go to to help finance this
2: thing. Really? Oh, so it's not just. Yeah. So, a, so yes. I'm,
4: I'm, I, that's another thing to watch out for. I guess the end credits. You just see uh, what I've been told is that uh, there's like these endless credits of just uh, the pr- production companies associated with one film, and you think, interesting. Wow. Well, you know, like with Million Dollar Baby, right? Uh, Warner's didn't even finance the whole thing. They Pardon they went what? up to a certain point, and Eastwood had to go elsewhere for funding. Isn't so, that funny, course. because
2: that's when his, his capital was very high. He was always on time and under budget at Warner Brothers. And, uh, right,
4: and, and still they didn't think the subject matter, like, oh, I don't know, I'll we'll put it in there. You know, the attitude was like, oh, how much how much are we really going to see on our investment? And apparently the same thing is true with American Sniper, which is ironic since it's such a blockbuster. It's the biggest hit Eastwood has ever had.
2: I didn't know that. Well, I, I yeah. want to go see it, but either. I care less. Yeah. I'm tired of the the news stations constantly in the politicizing these films, you know, that, that are, well, all films are political in nature, but I mean like taking the ones that are overtly political or, or whatever, like, like zero dark or whatever. And, and, and skewering the, the, the uh, the directors of the films and holding them accountable for you know the the this guy's life and the novel that was written about it and then like well
1: with American Sniper though I think it's 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 not just that I mean granted you have the you have the memoir and Chris Kyle you know the 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 fabrication and Jesse Ventura's lawsuit but you have all kind of these this this uh, meta surrounding discourse around American Sniper where you have. Um, Seth Rogan and Michael Moore he make these these tweets about uh, snipers and Nazis and snipers and, and and all that, and then you get everybody, you get the Christian right that is absolutely latched onto this film. Like this film has become their poster boy. It's like, hey, yeah, American sniper, let's kill people. This is what we love because we're Christians. And then you get the you know you get the military who have let everybody in the military who's latched onto this film and absolutely slammed Michael Moore and Seth Rogen how dare you actually you know but utter an opinion that's, exactly that's anti-military
2: point. is that here's an object that exists relative to the culture that created it which is being bent pulled twisted and you know uh, magnetized for the to the political beliefs of all like you just said all these different constellations they did the same thing with Zero Dark Thirty they did the same they do the same thing with every film that comes out that you know, has an ideological, a strong ideological bend to it. Or even if it doesn't, the thing is, is that like Catherine Bigelow and her screenwriters defended Zero Dark Thirty from day one saying, look it, we've been entirely ob- uh, objective and journalistic about this, but that wasn't good enough for everybody. They had to politicize the hell out of it. And the same thing. Now, the only thing I've read about American Sniper, other than all these, these news organizations constantly having people come on and talk about it is um our, our colleague Bob Burgoyne made a few comments about it. And I'm 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 almost always gonna side with Bob, even though I haven't seen it yet. And you know, he he was very much in favor of the film. I'm just gonna throw that out there. So I
0: well, again, I haven't seen it, so I can't say anything about it. But um, you know, it's it's a, it's a type, it's a subject matter that's going to get controversy. But it's interesting. Well, that's that Ted that's says a subject that,
4: for an upcoming podcast when you guys Yeah,
0: uh, definitely, definitely. But as Ted said, like he couldn't find f- funding, and it was like the biggest January release ever, or something. I don't know, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like that's yeah, some right. kind of crazy stat, like that. You know, well, that, I, guess, I guess
4: it didn't. I mean, in one sense, I can see an executive saying that okay, okay, we're going to give. Seventy million to an eighty-five year old guy to make a movie about a sniper. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, so I know. I know that that plays into it, yeah. but uh, you know, it's just the fact that you know when it, even when it's Clint Eastwood, there's not. Um, you know, there's a if if they just don't think they, it's going to, and I, and I understand that. I understand that it's an indu- It's an industry. The film industry is an industry, but uh, by the same token, they just. Don't want to take any chances. It's what we've been addressing about, like the music industry. They just want whatever falls into a certain, you know, something that people can that go this goes down easier. You know,
2: but that's that the problem, though, Ted. It's like it's like Coppola said in in that wonderful documentary, which is you know, um, uh, a decade under the influence. Is is without risk, there's no art. And so, mm-hmm. if you're not taking risks in your films, um then there is then there's no art, and yeah. the absence of risk, art goes out the window. So I'm just so tired of every little film. Every little film pisses somebody off, whether it's a, a you know a, a factory worker or a housewife or a soccer player or everybody's pissed off about something, and they just have to go to the airwaves, and it's like my God, it, it it makes people afraid to do anything. You know, I mean, I mean, do we really even have to talk about Matt and Trey and what they did with the cartoon war seven years right. ago? and what's going on with what happened with Paris. It's like, everybody's afraid to do anything anymore for the risk of offending anybody. Um, well, I find, it, I find it ironic that all this is coming on the heels of the interview.
0: Oh, true. Right.
4: Yeah. Where, where it's yeah, like, oh, point. well, you know, don't tell us what we'll make. We'll make what we free speech and all that. And now, hey, uh, I haven't seen American Sniper. Uh, I understand, from what I've been told, I right. I understand it's, it's not quite the hardline pro, you know, uh, Pro violence film that, uh, in, in fact, in, in many ways, it reportedly is very a very thoughtful contemplation on, the su- on a very uh, controversial subject. But right away, people want to shut it down, and it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're, 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 what
2: we're happened to the look? interview a month ago where it's like, where Yeah, a
4: month ago they
2: saying, deal. like, oh, no. The, uh, like, oh, this film's terrible, and then everybody's... Yeah, like,
4: like what, what happened between the interview and American Sniper that... Uh, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> when, when did the national mood change?
0: <laughs> yeah, in like three weeks. Three weeks.
4: <laughs> right, exactly. That's but, funny,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends on if you agree with it or not, right? Yeah, that yeah. No no kidding. And now it's on Netflix the interview from what I understand. So, um yeah, well I I plan to see American Sniper um eventually. You know, I have other things that are on my list too uh, uh, ahead of that, but Right. Yeah, you know, we'll see we'll see how it goes. Um,
4: oh yeah, it's 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 definitely on my see list. Yeah. And I would like to see it in a theater as opposed
0: to waiting until it comes out on DVD. But, uh, yeah, I would too. I would too. Um, maybe tomorrow. Nah, <laughs> we'll
4: see. <laughs> I want to see Birdman.
0: There's a, there's other stuff I want to see. Yeah, I think well, there's
2: four so, yeah. that are high on my list right now. There's the um, Theory of Everything, and then there's the 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 Codebreaker yeah. film. What's it yeah. called with Benedict? Um, yeah. the, is, what, what's the name of that movie, guys? You remember the
1: something? It? Game the, the yeah something the imitation, game. Game. The imitation, imitation
2: game. game that's it. American Sniper and Birdman. Yeah. So I've got. Yes, good point. And, and I, I
4: do want to see big eyes. Oh yeah, yeah
2: me too. Yeah, yeah. It's
4: a, I mean, uh, that artwork, frankly, just creeps me out. But uh, yeah. the, the story behind it is fascinating.
2: The story yeah. behind it is fascinating. Of course, I mean, the the two pictures, the portraits I knew of hers from from years ago were Joan Crawford and obviously Natalie Wood. You know. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm really glad though that there are two movies out right now. There's one about Alan Turing and one about Stephen Hawking at the same yep. time. You well, know, yeah. Yeah. the nerds, the nerds have won finally. You nerds. know, maybe I don't know. You know, maybe there's hope for us after all. Two movies about you know about scientists and <laughs> toe breakers and stuff. I don't know. Maybe not.
4: Maybe it'll fetch. But then again, you know, you need,
0: well. Well, summer's coming, so I'm sure. <laughs> come <laughs> June, I'll be, Come June, I'll change my tune.
4: The, is this going to uh, does this mean there's going to be a spike in sniper movies? I wonder.
0: Yeah, yeah, American <laughs> Sniper two,
1: right? Yeah. American, yeah. Sniper two. American Sniper yeah. two, yeah. Sniper two, yeah. yeah. He snipes back.
4: He snipes back. Why? It's it's going to be the next Death Wish series. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah the next like Death Bradley Wish. Bradley
0: Cooper's back, kiddies. Yeah. Yeah.
2: American well. Sniper two. with score He's by. Back G- for revenge. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess sort of in closing, maybe it's a good idea, Ted, if we if we uh, I don't know, just sort of like uh, put a stake in the ground and talk about our collaboration, you know, our, our multi collaboration that's coming up here.
4: Right. Speaking uh, speaking of things that, uh, well, I love a film and
2: uh... yeah. Um, so I've mentioned to to listeners before that um, for the past several years I've been going down to meet um, a very dear friend, uh, Mark Miller, uh, and his um, his circle of close friends. At Mark's home in in Columbus, Mark and his wife Teresa, who who gracious, unbelievably graciously put as many as what 12, 15, 12 of us, fifteen, I don't know, but we put a lot of well, us at, at least
4: nine or ten, yeah, yeah, nine
2: or ten, that sounds about right. And then at, at, and then when when the other locals come around, it turns out to be about fifteen or so, or, or standing room only, and uh, for a movie memorabilia exposition called CinEvent, and uh, but it's really just an excuse for these people who have been friends for. 25, 30 years in some cases to get together, drink, watch tons of movies and just have a blast. And
4: yeah, you, know, was, you, know that show, you know that show The Biggest Loser? It's like the opposite of that goal. Yes. You know, where, where, where they get people <laughs> and, together in a house and, and instead of trying to wean you off all the bad habits,
2: you yeah, actually get to indulge to in As much gastrointestinal distress as possible in like a five day period.
4: And You are not the winner unless you come out Noticeably physically wrecked. What did I I say? Physically poorer than when you went in.
2: Okay, that's that's, that's, that's the goal. Yeah, Cheetos and drinking beer. So we—it's just nothing but the the greatest time on earth. And I was so graciously accepted into the fold by Mark. Um, Very, very tragically, Mark passed away back in December, Um, and we lost uh, not only a great, uh, a, a, a great author and spokesman and teacher of film, but just, you know, the the greatest friend you could possibly ask for. And Mark was just an absolute saint. And um, Ted had the uh, wonderful idea, uh, absolute brilliant idea, of um, of us all, the, the group, contributing essays to a collected volume that takes up the spirit of Miller Kahn in general, which is to shed light on a lot of neglected films that, have sort of fallen through the cracks and aren't really – don't have much of a constituency. Uh, so that's the background behind it. Ted, why don't you tell – this was your brainchild, so why don't you uh, enlighten?
4: Oh, well, it, it's, it's just a collection of essays. Hopefully, we will find a publisher for it, but the point is that we're going to uh, – well, I'm, I'm very gratified by the enthusiasm of the core group because it's an idea I was going to wait – for a while, and just kind of pitch, and then certain things happen. So I pitched it a couple of weeks ago, and I can't believe the response. So yes, everybody's on board with this. Uh, we, we have already agreed that uh, whatever royalties come of it, will, they will be given to his widow. But uh, moreover, it, I, I think, Nikki, it, it's kind of a way to help us cope with the loss, too. Sure. Uh, just remembering, because a lot of these films are things that we either discussed when we were there, uh, by the way, it, it stopped being called Sin Event. That was the outside event that we would attend, and we just we just came up with the title MillerCon.
2: MillerCon. I'm not quite
4: sure who coined it, but uh, in short order, it became a thing. Okay, yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to MillerCon in May. <laughs> I mean, to the point where you'd m- mention it to people outside the group, and you'd forget that nobody knows what we're talking about <laughs> outside the group. So uh, we're all on board with this. We're, we're Picking out uh, different titles, I'm kind of arbitrating where you know in cases where it's that man, eh, that title's a little too well known. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd like we, it's either titles that are unknown and deserve a shot, or maybe their titles. Yes, they, they, they're from a director or a star or uh, something. Where, yes, they are known, but nobody's really gone to bat for them. Right. Or, or they live in the shadow of other films within that group. Well, hopefully we'll be able to find a publisher for it. I mean, I'm sure we'll, well, you'll talk about it more as as the uh, things get uh, a little more finite. But uh, at the rate we're going, we should have enough to kind of prepare an outline, and I can, I'll pitch it to some publishers. Yep. And hopefully somebody will say, hey, that's a great idea.
2: That sounds
0: great. Yep. I'll buy a copy at least.
1: Me too, that's wonderful. Yeah,
2: well guys, good. I can tell you that my contributions to it are films that I don't think either one of you have seen uh, and you may know one or two of the titles, but they're they're films that you know i'm I'm absolutely nuts for and and several of them have, I, I brought down to marks and we watched um, but but Ted's absolutely right they're, they're films you know some of them are were were a-list pictures from major studios that have just been basically forgotten, you know. Um, and in fact, Ted's, Ted's working title for the book is, um, well, it's a play off of the, the, another movie's title, but I mean, uh, Ted isn't, it, you're thinking about calling it. Yes.
4: Exactly. There's a movie called the people that time forgot. Yeah, So we're going to call this, uh, the, Mo- the movies that time forgot. Exactly. <laughs> I love and, it. And, and, yeah, the, and what's nice about this collaboration is that, not, aside from the enthusiasm, which is wonderful, is the fact that, uh, when we would all get together, we all bring different collective experiences. So we all brought—I mean, some of us get razzed for our tastes, but mm. hey, there are tastes, and we'll, we'll we'll defend them. So uh, another thing about the uh, collection of essays is it's going to represent a wide, uh, co- wide coverage. I mean, there, there's there's going to be a lot of genres, a lot of
2: uh, yeah. I think I'm only doing. One horror film. That's it. The rest of right. all,
4: I, I know. Uh, yeah, uh, a number of people, folks in our group, and myself too, love the horror and science fiction films. But uh, in the spirit of Mark Miller, we didn't want it to be just that because, well, Mark certainly loved that stuff. He loved movies in general, and and uh, it would it would be appropriate if we covered as many as many diverse titles as we could, and hopefully that will be
1: what we do sounds like a good project i, I
0: look forward to yeah. hearing about it i'm sure nick will uh, update us on on subsequent episodes of that sure. what sure.
1: a wonderful way to honor your friend i love yeah. it and,
4: and also for me nick you know it's like, it's like uh i'm waiting for people to realize that i pulled a tom sawyer on all you guys <laughs> <laughs> i got you guys that uh, watch the
2: fence yeah. <laughs> while i stand there and eat an apple <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice <Yeah>. nice great <laughs>
2: Suckers. Yeah, but well, we're, glad, we're <laughs> glad to pick up a paintbrush, though. So,
4: no, it, 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 it's uh, like you say, it is. It, it, it is in the spirit of Mark. And it, hey, Mark is really the guy uh, that brought us all together. Uh, I can't say that our paths wouldn't have crossed maybe at some point, but uh, who knows?
2: You're right. No, Mark was a great facilitator of friendships. You know, there's no question. And, and, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm really happy, you know, and, and, uh, the, the, the films that I'm writing about are films I've talked with Mark about that we loved and, and, uh.
4: And, and so a, you notice Valerie's Week of Wonders and her Week so of I Wonders is back that. on the list, right? Yeah. Yeah. I
2: saw that you reinstated that. Uh, um, yeah, guys, I'm Chris and, and Eric, that's one of the titles that, you know, I'm bonkers for Valerie and her Week of Wonders. Oh Yeah. That and and that is that is one of the greatest masterpieces of modern cinema. It's so incredible that film. It was Joe Dante that turned me onto that, hmm. um, and uh, I had read about it for years. But then when on Trailers from Hell, when he did a little piece on it, I just looked at it and I said, I have you know, I I, I damn it, I got to get a copy of this. And, and oh,
4: I, I gotta, I gotta, thanks, Dick. I gotta check that out. I, I usually see the Trailers from Hell postings, but I didn't see that one.
2: So we took that, that one up long, maybe like 2008 or nine, and I saw it, and that's when I got the film, and I actually wound up screening that in a cult movies class, and I burned a copy for Mark, and Mark watched it on a summer afternoon in, in, you know, in the basement. He did it on the big screen, and then wrote me an email of just how blown away he was by it. you know.
4: In fact, shortly after that, didn't it turn up on Turner Classic Movies?
2: It, uh, well, yeah, uh, um, and then I asked him if he was going to record it, and... And uh, he, he wound up not recording it because he already had a copy of it. But I said, hey, man, it might be a better copy than mine. <laughs> but <laughs> but he, was, he was too busy recording a bunch of other stuff. So I wanted to share that with you guys and with listeners. So you guys can keep an eye out for this book um, It's because it should, it should be real fun. It should, these are a bunch of titles that I'm sure the general public is just really unfamiliar with.
4: It'll be, it'll be a difficult book. to I mean, and difficult in a good way. It'll it, be a difficult book to categorize. Because it really won't fit one
2: category, right? But you know what? There, I remember years ago going into Barnes and Noble and Borders and seeing going to the film section and seeing you know some woman who'd written like the fifty greatest breakup movies, or the you know, or some guy had written the hundred greatest you know chainsaw deaths in film or whatever. So I mean, you know, there's definitely, definitely, you know, uh, I think an, uh, we won't, we won't. I don't think we're going to have any trouble.
4: I hope not. And this would be, for me, it would be an interesting uh, journey from uh, standing in front of, uh, as a young man, standing in uh, these bookshelves with, like, one or two movie books to seeing something like this, regardless of my involvement in it. Just seeing a book that is so uh, broad-based in its coverage.
3: Yeah, yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure, for
0: sure. So, Ted, do you... uh would you, would you come back on after, after this conversation? Would you?
4: Oh, certainly. In fact, I was, you, I was expecting you to contact me within the next day or so and say, you know, we got two hours that are completely unusable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we're going to so, pass. <laughs> no, no,
4: hey, any time, anytime, guys. Anytime, hey, look, anytime time I can get any three people to sit there and listen to me spout off, <laughs> two hours. Hey, I, 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 I'm there. That, that, that's an opportunity that happens with increasing rarity these days. So
0: It's going to be a lot more than three once we release this thing. But <laughs> I yeah, think so. Yeah, that's great.
4: <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure. I hope the end result is uh, up to your usual
2: standards. Of
1: course. Don't be silly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, well. We we have
0: high standards around here. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, You're coming right after our Nymphomaniac
4: episode. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and well, Nick. Nick. <laughs> Nick is very good about tipping me off anyway but uh it's not that I won't be interested to hear future podcasts but I'm really going to be interested on your take cuz I hope to have seen it by then on
2: uh, American Sniper. Oh yeah, yeah. I want to go see it.
0: I think we should make a point of seeing that and uh oh, yeah. and and discussing it maybe in the next week or two. I, I think agree. That's a
2: good idea. Yeah. Well. Yeah, it, it,
4: it, it, well, it is it is the movie that people are... Well, the the, the interview came, kind of came and went real quick. Yeah. <laughs> but n- now, now it's American Sniper is the one that everybody's talking about. Yes. By the way, uh, I don't have to use for air. Have you? Because I haven't. You guys? Any of you guys seen the interview? No, I did. No,
0: I, I oh. did. Yes. And. Uh, it was not very good. <laughs> uh,
4: excuse, uh, myself, you know, for a guy who doesn't particularly care for Seth Rogen, I've seen more Seth Rogen movies. Yeah than I care to admit. I mean, I I, I see more Seth Rogen movies than Ingmar Bergman movies, and I don't <laughs> oh, know how that no. happens. So, oh. uh, and, and I'm just baffled as to, uh, uh, you know, why if he is that popular, or why Hollywood thinks he's that popular. Right. And after funny people and I said okay that that's it that's yeah. it this guy's not going to get another dime out of me but now i have to admit that uh the i mean because of all the controversy i here's the way i'm figuring it i'm figuring it. i'm go, I'm going to go into seeing the interview at some point with lo, very lower expectations than i usually would have yeah and if well, I get, that's
0: if, good. That's a good way to do it. That's a very good way to do it because if you have really, really low expectations like I did when I went in, you will laugh. There are things that are funny in that movie.
4: Okay. Yeah, but I, I'm assuming nothing in that movie is as funny as those leaked Sony emails.
0: <laughs> right, right. That's probably I mean,
4: that's, that's, that's yeah. a pretty... Uh... That's a pretty daunting challenge to be that funny. I have
0: to say, though, that when I, and you guys might disagree with me on this, when I saw Pineapple Pineapple Express, Uh uh, that scene in in that movie where Seth Rogen and uh, James Franco were talking uh, when he's trying to buy the pot from him and all that stuff, I thought to myself, if this whole movie is just this scene for two hours, I'll be fine with that. I thought it was hilarious. I really, really liked their chemistry. I liked the writing. I thought it was great. Just that scene, you know, in Pineapple Express, and it, and it went on to do other things. But uh, this movie, The Interview, does not, in my opinion, capture any of that at yeah, yeah. all. I think they were trying to recapture that, and I don't think it really succeeded, although it does have its moments.
4: Pineapple Express, I did like individual scenes in that. I thought the, Same.
0: Yeah. the
4: biggest problem, with the for me, the movie just went on too long.
0: Yeah.
4: What kind of war that's welcome? And with funny people... Way too long. I Well, way too long, but I, I also resent... Not resented, but uh, I was very, very disappointed. I thought, ah, they got me again. I thought, well, I'm not a fan of Seth Rogen. I'm not a fan of Adam Sandler. But the premise about a comedian who's got a fatal illness, and he's looking back, and they're like, gee, did he, did he squander his life? Did he squander his talent? I thought, hmm, this might be interesting. And then, ha- have you guys seen the movie? Yeah, I no. have. No. Okay, well you know, what, two-thirds of the way, they just dropped that premise altogether. Yeah, totally. And it becomes this, this dopey, romantic, and semi-romantic story. comedy he, he's yeah. trying to get back with his ex-wife.
3: Oh, and I'm like,
4: uh, you know, wait a minute, you know, what, what happened here? And I, I, I that's why I said, it got me again. If he if had with that idea,
2: I would have said, okay, well... Oh, yeah. well, so the film yeah. wasn't true to itself. Ahem, <clears throat> nymphomaniac. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Stop
1: beating up on Lars. <laughs> just
2: the last five minutes, pal. Just the last
4: five minutes. <laughs> what, what? L- Lars gets no love? Come on. Oh, I love... I
1: getting
0: loved. Uh, <laughs> just uh, just
3: like,
2: uh, I love...
0: Let's, n- let's not rehash n- episode 30. All right, we
2: will rehash. My, <laughs> if if
0: people on- want to know this, go listen to episode yeah, 30. My
2: thoughts on... on um, uh, Seth Rogen are just this and I'm sorry to say it's come down to this but I have a hard time watching his movies because that laugh is is like nails across a chalkboard uh. for me these days. I, that that laugh has been so like he I mean I don't even think he laughs that way he just has to laugh that way now. I mean although when you see him on night you know like talk shows chat shows he's he does that laugh I can't it, it, I, and I I actually have like a a, a, a physical reaction to it now.
3: <laughs> oh boy. I just she think he's one a of bad the actor
1: laughs in the
2: world. You know, I just
1: think he's a bad actor. I
2: I don't I don't like him. I don't find
1: him funny. I just think he's a he's a dumb actor. I, oh. I, so I I sorry I do that I I, I I do See what you did Ted suit you did you Oh well, <laughs> hey, now
4: now we're now we're into another uh, yet another podcast. N- yeah, next topic, so- Seth Rogen. <laughs> why, why I hate Seth Rogen. <laughs> why I hate Seth maybe, Rogen. Maybe I, I, I will so say this, this. Uh, hey. and Nick knows this. I have some pretty uh, undefensible tastes in movie comedy. However, I will say I'm completely puzzled by Seth Rogen. It really, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if I hate him personally. I don't hate him personally. Oh, I don't know him personally. So <laughs> I I but him a lot. but I, I just find him uh, 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 an enigma. Like, how is it that this. Person is like one of the considered one of the leading comic lights in. I mean, think of all the Amen. comedians who have come down Amen. the pike: the Ben, the uh, Chaplin, Law, Harold Lloyd, Buster Keaton, and we've come to <laughs> Seth, Seth Rogen. I mean,
1: the Marx Brothers to Seth Rogen. I mean, what yeah, is exactly? That?
4: Exactly. That, that's like the evolution chart backwards. Right. Right. <laughs> that's like a man turning into a fish. I mean, like what? what, what it is. It is. It is. Oh,
2: that's hilarious. Oh, so it's
4: like, uh, you know, uh, that, hey, that's a topic for another show. <laughs> why, why comedy sucks? I was like, <laughs> the comedy
2: sucks. Bushwood? <laughs> Sorry. Why comedy <laughs> sucks, so sucks and who's to
4: blame? Yeah.
0: Bushwood? Okay, Ted Okuda. Thank you. Thank you, so, Ted.
2: Very much. Thanks.
4: Well, hey, thank you, guys. It, 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 it's been a, hey, you know, Nick, this is. We had mentioned MillerCon. Uh, this is. Uh, this is like MillerCon. This is, this, is, this is what happened at MillerCon. Only we're drinking beer.
2: And root beer floats.
4: Yeah, we're eating Butterfinger candy bars. <laughs> oh,
2: man. And we got our feet propped up on uh, reclining chairs. Yep, basically that's it. And a big, fat uh, t- television screen. Yes, exactly. And then it's a 16-millimeter projection theater, which is even better. Okay. All right. Thank you, Ted. All right, Thank thanks, you, Ted. Thank
4: you, guys. Okay. Have a good bye. evening and, and th- hey, thanks bye. again. You, like I say, when you play this back, I know you'll regret it. But uh, <laughs> thank you anyway. Okay, take care. Bye, bye. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. Cut. That's a wrap.
0: Thanks for listening to That's a Wrap episode number 31 with Chris Gullman Nick Schlegel, and Eric Marshall. You can find us at that's a rapshow.com. And we also are available on iTunes and Stitcher, and we do appreciate reviews at both those places. Thanks
3: a lot.